3: You cannot come out in the middle of this discussion when health and safety needs to be the top priority that's put out there by the players and
1: utter those words without knowing there is going to be enormous blowback on it and it's going to cast the players in a light that I'm not sure is entirely shared across the player base. Let's remember there are 1200 players in the Major League Baseball Players Association Sage. While a lot of them do not want to take further pay cuts, a lot of them also think they
3: can go back out there and play Play if they're getting paid.
1: With Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Rivs and BK on 101 ESPN. That was Jeff Passen earlier today on Get Up on ESPN, talking, of course, about those Blake Snell comments that are just a massive part of our lives li- right now.
0: Throw a little gas on the fire, that young man, hasn't he? So, Jamie, I'm going to give a little bit of a personal story right now. Okay. Last night,
1: I'm watching the news. I'm watching KMOV with Karen, her family, and Karen, my girlfriend. We're watching Doug Vaughn comes on the screen, which means it's sports time. Oh boy. And Doug Vaughn is talking about these very Blake Snell comments. And at the end of it, after he's played the Blake Snell comments, Doug Vaughn says, and that is what a lot of people hate about these modern-day athletes. <laughs> and I, for whatever reason, I it, it just kind of came out of me. I was like, ah, come on, Doug. Like, that's unnecessary. We didn't need that comment there at the end. Like, it, it, it seemed unnecessary to me in the moment. And suddenly, I hear a voice emerge from kind of the peanut gallery. Kara's mom just says to me, and "She's a not like politically, but as a as a person, r- relatively conservative person. She's like, you know, I kind of agree with them." And I was like, I kind of sat there in that moment, and I was like, that's the person that Blake Snell's talking to that I don't think he realizes that he was talking to. Yeah. And so when you make those comments and you say to yourself, you know, I'm not making $7 million and I'm only making $3 million this year, that's the people that you're turning off. You're turning off the casual person that's going to watch the Cardinals five times a month that just wants to see baseball all of a sudden. Yep. And this is what I don't think the players realize they're doing right now, Jamie. It sucks. I get it. I understand what you're trying to battle for. But at the end of the day, you're going to lose certain people as a, as a result of it.
0: You're definitely going to lose some of the, the general public with their opinion on it because everybody always goes to, well, we're talking about millionaires and billionaires being the players and the owners. I get that comment, okay? But in Blake Snell's defense on this one here, the career is short as well for some of these guys, right? I don't know what the average length is. Something like three or four years of Major League Baseball for some of these guys. Never mind the guys who play for 20 years. How about the guy that plays, oh, 25 games and never plays again, right? So they have to make their money when they can. And if he's taking a cut and pay already this season now he's got to come back and he's expected to roll it back again and what if he doesn't like next year what if he doesn't have a, I don't know what his status is what if he doesn't have a contract for next year what if this year ends up being bad and now he has nothing moving forward you know I agree I mean? with you personally Like, my personal opinion aligns with what you just said.
1: I agree that the players are getting jobbed in this, potentially. It sucks for them.
0: Well, the public eye, they're just going to get murdered, right? And that's the thing. That's what I'm arguing. Why don't they murder the owners who are sitting there printing money in their big corporations who are, you know, creating little LLCs within their own company to hide money so that one can go bankrupt, the other one can survive? Why are we not talking about all of that? You want to know why? Because
1: this is the comment that we heard yesterday from Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper was on his own Twitch stream and by the way I don't think they realize that it doesn't look great that these comments are coming via their Twitch stream while they're playing video games. I don't think they realize that either. Here's Bryce Harper's comments backing up what Blake Snell had to say. What did Snell say on his stream earlier? Do you know?
4: Uh, That he said it's not worth it to play with pay cuts and video games. That he like, they're, you guys are risking your lives getting, like obviously getting COVID. He said if someone gets it, they got to live with that for the rest of their lives. He and ain't lying. He's right. He's like, I need my,
2: he's like, give him my money or I'm not
1: playing. Bro, he's speaking the truth, bro. I ain't mad at him. Somebody's got to say it. At least he manned up and said it so that's bryce harper saying it on twitch and again i don't necessarily disagree with them i just think the message is going to fall on deaf ears meanwhile rob manfred last night this is what you're hearing from the owner's side of things
5: he goes on cnn and says this i think that um whenever there's a discussion about economics um publicly people tend to characterize it as a fight um me personally, I have great confidence that we'll reach an agreement with the Players Association, um, both that um, it's safe to come back to work and work out the economic issues that need to be resolved.
1: The messaging is so much better from the owners, Jamie. They're staying behind the scenes. You're not hearing what they're saying. They're leaking these plans, saying, oh, we just want to come back to baseball. We just want to come back to baseball. Mm -hmm. It's the players that are saying, no, 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 give us our money. And in a time when everybody's been saying this, 15% of Americans are out of work. There's studies that show that 40% of people that make less than $45,000 have been laid off. This is not the time to do it publicly. If that's your battle behind closed doors, I get it. It's just going to be a terrible thing to say publicly in front of the pe- the audience that you currently.
0: Are. Yeah, we talked about it uh, earlier this week and, you know, I said flat out the strategy for the players, don't even talk about the money, talk about the health risk. That's it. Circle back to the health risk all the time and that way there nobody can say that the owners are greedy or the players are greedy. Yeah, maybe they're being pig-headed because the health risk isn't what it is cuz there's people that believe all whatever they want, but at least it wouldn't be the dollar, right? And so, we got a text message here from 636. 636 here on a Friday (laughs) morning. Uh, What Snell needs to realize is that these casual fans are people who also probably took pay cuts or layoffs at their normal jobs. So, to complain about it is just blah, blah, blah. They had some choice words about Snell. Now, my response to that is do we get to spend other people's money? Do we get to make decisions with other people's money? Like, you get your paycheck on Friday. Do I go grab it and then I spend it for you? No, I don't. You get to choose. Depends on the week. Depends yeah. on the Depends how bad you are gambling that week. Yeah. My point is, though, is that nobody knows what situation these guys are in. Yeah, some of them are multimillionaires and they're set up for life. Their kids, kids, kids are set up for life. Great, fantastic. Some of them aren't. Some of them are guys that are living paycheck to paycheck. Whether that's on them or not, it doesn't matter. I've never been one to ever spend anybody else's money. Nor would I spend, you know, a $30,000 a year guy wouldn't tell him how to spend his money either. So in public opinion, yes, it's like, "Ah, never mind, they're making a lot of money and just suck it up and play. Because I'm making twenty five grand over here and I'm digging ditches and I'm at risk every day. But all of it is very true. Everything that I just said is very true. But at the end of the day, you can't go cashing checks for people when it's not your money.
4: Here's the part, too, that I feel like is going to really damage Major League Baseball and all of this. And it's no fault of the players. It's just you got to look at what the other leagues are doing, too. I mean, if you get to the point where the NHL is having these conversations between closed doors, and, yes, it's come out that the economic factor is a part of it, but not as much as the health factor. Same with basketball. And you get basketball and NHL back and the players are still fighting over the fact that they got to do a 50-50 split. That's going to ruin Major League Baseball moving forward. It's going to ruin going into the, the, the conversation with the CBA. You're going to lose the general fans like your future mother-in-law, I guess I can say BK. Yeah. Those wow. are the fans you're not. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if she it's says it. It's up yes. to you. Those are,
0: those are the fans that you're going to lose if this happens. Yeah, but the problem with be- excuse me, the baseball, heads, right over there I with don't Jamie. know what's going on today, right? <laughs> My God! You, you guys must put something in my coffee here. Apparently, anyways, the problem that we're having with all that is that baseball is the, like <laughs> hockey's. They're done being paid for the year. Basketball's done being paid. So the playoffs, yes, it generates revenue for the teams, but the players don't collect a paycheck, right? So NHL and NBA can look like heroes coming back, and they're not even being paid, right? Baseball's like, we're not doing that. This is our regular season. What I would like to see, and it won't happen because it's too far down the runway, but if the NFL was in the mix right now, I'd like to see what the NFL would be doing because they'd be like, we don't care what you say. This is what we're doing. And the players would be like, no, you're going to pay us. And the NFL would find a way to make it work. It's too bad, actually, that the NFL is not the first one in line because they're bold enough to make some decisions that would probably set a game plan for the other sports. But I don't
4: know if the common fan's going to see that, though. I think the common fan's just going to see it as, well, you got these leagues playing, these athletes are
1: playing, and Major League Baseball is not. There's one other big difference. Those other sports already have the 50-50 revenue split. That's true. Major League Baseball doesn't. Major League That's Baseball doesn't point, have BK. revenue splitting. Look at you go. Look at this. I did it. 11-10. Your time check brought wow. to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. It took 10 minutes, but I made a good point on this very was, radio was show. solid, too. These other leagues already have the revenue sharing. It's 50-50. It's 52-48. Whatever it may be, they've already split up the revenues. They know exactly what each of them is going to make in any given year. Baseball doesn't. It's one of the things that makes baseball unique. There is no salary cap. There is no revenue split that is indicated at the beginning of the season between the players and the owners. The books are not open to the players on a year-in, year-out basis. So they don't know where where the revenues were starting versus where they are going to end up now. We have some projections. We have some ideas of where they were versus where they can be. We don't know for certain, and that's what's making this so muddy, so ugly, so difficult to come to a conclusion for both the players and the owners. Mm -hmm. Players want them to open up the books if they're going to go down this road. The owners don't want to do that, but the owners aren't saying that publicly because they know this is going to look good for them if they go down this path, and the players are the ones that are refusing to play as a result. It's ugly, man. If it I'm ain't the players, gonna get away. I want lot better. those books
0: open. If, if I'm the too. players, I'm like, okay, 50-50. Let's open them up, boys. I do too. I don't think it's gonna happen That ain't happening. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario,
1: I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. So there's a story that just came out from Ken Rosenthal. And I'm gonna read you this headline from his tweet. We're going to get into it on the other side. Sharing of local revenue between teams, which has been a staple of Major League Baseball since 1996, is unlikely to occur in a season that will begin with no fans. The clubs affected most and least financially might surprise you. We'll discuss that next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the
2: Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Jamie
1: Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. You guys can always get involved in the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. So I tease before the break, Ken Rosenthal has a new story out on The Athletic uh, saying revenue sharing might be over. For Major League Baseball for 2020, the title of the story, with no fans, revenue sharing among rich and poor teams will be unlikely in 2020. So revenue sharing typically ends up with teams like the Rays. They get a lot of money from other teams from their uh, their gate revenues, all these different things, right? Yeah. That's not happening this year, potentially. And... I'm going to read you a couple of lines from this, Jamie, from this story, and I want to get your reaction. For 2020, Major League Baseball is likely to halt revenue sharing among the clubs. That decision is not final, a league official said, But it is the expectation of owners and other top executives in the sport. He continues, the Astros and Nationals are in an opposite scenario of the Rays, fielding projected top 10 payrolls while generally relying on strong home attendance with TV TV deals that are considered subpar for their respective markets. The Cardinals are another example of a high payroll club that draws the majority of its revenue from gate-related sources. The Cardinals, in any a given year, this is a weird thing. It's kind of a, something that goes under the radar. You know that little, um, the end of every first or second round, there's like these, these picks that are given out to teams if they are considered to be a small market club. Mm-hmm. The Cardinals are one of those teams that gets those picks. They're also a team that I believe, and I'm going to have to look into this, but I believe they get a little bit of revenue sharing because they are considered to be a lower, smaller market team. This year, they're not going to get any of that, and they're not going to draw likely, any sort of gate revenue from people going out to the games. And we know there's a number that they go for each and every year. I believe it's 4 million fans that they try to get every season. They're proud of it and should be. And that's how they ultimately draw some of these revenues. I hadn't really considered this to be a possibility, but it sounds to me, after reading this story from Ken Rosenthal, teams like the Rays that don't draw much from gate revenue— are going to be mostly okay this year. Teams like the Cardinals, on the other hand, could be the most greatly affected by what's going on right now.
0: So let me ask you this, because I'm trying to dissect all this into my non-baseball cranium right now. So Tampa, where they have a building that's empty a lot of the time, will be less affected than the Cardinals will be in this? Yes, because they share revenue with the teams that are making... More money from... Yeah, but if there's no revenue sharing, how will they even survive?
1: The Cardinals would typically draw the majority of their income in any given year, the majority of their revenue from those people going into the games. Correct. The Rays, meanwhile, have a lower salary. They have a lower payroll every year because they don't expect any of that money from the fans coming into the stands, and they year, sure they're still not going to get those fans coming into the stands. So while the Cardinals get 40,000 people every game, right, the Rays get like 15. Yeah. And so it's a significantly bigger chunk of your revenue split to have those 40,000 people and you're expecting it. You're expecting that money every year. And so the Cardinals pay out accordingly. The Cardinals have a payroll that's whatever, $150 million on any given year. Meanwhile, the Rays are at like $65 million on yeah. any given year because they're spending according to what they're expecting to bring in. Okay, And when the revenue that you're losing is this gate revenue, it's a much bigger number for the Cardinals than it would be for the Rays. So
4: Tampa Bay,
0: and correct me if I'm wrong here, maintains this, this level of Yeah, but here's where I go with this, okay? And the, I, this is where I think that comparison's tough. You're 100% right about the Cardinals. They're going to be losing a significant amount of their revenue from their gate. But teams like Tampa that don't have that revenue, that don't have those great TV contracts, whatever, they're not going to be getting Big Brother's money anymore either. So they could be greatly affected to the point where those clubs go bankrupt. From my understanding of this story, that is not going to be the
1: case. Okay. From my understanding of this story, and this comes from Ken Rosenthal. I don't this mean like
0: right away, but I mean like if you have a couple of years of non-revenue sharing, and you've got a team that's in the tank like that down there. Yeah, but I think Major
4: League Baseball would find a loophole with that. They're not going to allow one of their franchises to go bankrupt. No, they'll force it to
1: be sold. They'll find a way. But from my understanding Arizona of this story, Coyotes. from my
4: understanding
0: <laughs> of you
1: know, this... I'm going to power through this. From my understanding of this story, they are going to be okay because they typically end up with less of this revenue that's going to be lost than the team like the
0: Cardinals do. I don't know. I'm not an economic, a, a, economist. No, I think what we're saying, we're both right here. And, and let me try to slow it down. You're saying the Cardinals will be more affected because that's a huge chunk of revenue they yes. won't
1: receive. And they're spending more on an annual basis as and well. They're
0: spending more. And the Rays, though who are just that that relative that's just an underachiever all the time, it's just going to stay that way. Yep. So it's just going it's going to have a greater effect, per se, on the Cardinals than a team like the Tampa Bay Rays because the expectations aren't there anyway.
1: Pushing that forward a little bit, I'll be really interested to see what this means for their offseason. I'll be really interested to see how the Cardinals ultimately approach the offseason as a result of losing out on this money at the gates. Is it going to mean... Guys are getting potentially sold off by the Cardinals. I don't know. Is it going to mean they're not in on any of the big-ticket items? I understand that they haven't been most often, but... Maybe this, this offseason, even a guy like Dexter Fowler would be out of their price range. Andrew Miller, mm-hmm. the top relieving arms, out of their price range. Maybe it is just a year, two, three, I don't know how long, where they're going to have to flatten things out a little bit with their payroll compared to what they would typically expect.
0: It's going to be interesting, that's for sure, because baseball's never had this problem. I, obviously, nobody's had this problem, but to have this where salaries have been going up, going up, going up, revenues going up every year for baseball, they're, you know, catching some momentum now hit the brakes and i said it what three weeks ago the teams watch this teams are going to just start selling off players it's going to be like the flea market
4: i'm curious of what the, this is going to affect free agency a hundred percent and you're going to see players like we saw a couple of years ago sitting there without any jobs and that goes back to kind of the conversation i said yesterday that's gonna ruin CBA conversations because players are gonna feel like they deserve more money. Owners can't give them that money, and then you're gonna get into this little conundrum of players just aren't getting signed.
1: With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Rivs and BK on 101 ESPN. Coming up in just a little more than five minutes, we'll talk with Buster Olney of ESPN about this and specifically about what he thinks is coming for baseball. All right, Jamie. So there was a story yesterday in the news that I wanted to get to here briefly. Mike Tyson is trying to make his comeback. But now we have a potential guy that he could fight. See, we ever. So, promoter Bob Arum is interested in potentially putting together a fight of Mike Tyson versus Tyson Fury. Now, he is having a little bit of a disclaimer here. He wants it to be for charity. He wants there to be headgear. He wants bigger gloves, smaller expectations. He's not expecting this to be some, like, prize fight, right? But he says that if... (laughs) Good one. He says that if he were to promote it, he would look into this potentially being a fight he was interested in. We were talking about this a little bit on our own last night. I think if Mike Tyson tried to take this fight, he would get his ass
0: kicked. He's, what, four, 53 years 53, old? 53. Um, but yeah, there's something you got to remember about Mike Tyson, okay? He's arguably one of the greatest heavyweights of all time. And he's always been a smaller guy as far as his height goes. Everything he does is getting inside and just absolutely pounding the snot out of you. <laughs> and so Tyson Fury, yes, he's six foot eight and he's got the reach, but Tyson's been fighting that his whole life. It's not like yeah. all of a sudden he lost six inches and he's got to try and figure it out. Every guy he's ever fought, Riddick, Bo, all the big guys that he's fought, they're all big six, four, six, five, six, six. Yeah, six, eight. Okay, yeah, he's a big dude. But you watch, I watched a video of Tyson uh, showing Francis Ngannou, the UFC heavyweight, how to get inside of a, a striker that has a longer reach. And watching him get in there and break it down and the combinations that he has once he's in there, I'm telling you what, BK, I don't, I'm not saying he wins the fight, okay? But I'm telling you what, Tyson Fury is going to know he was in a fight. That's for sure.
1: The problem is Mike Tyson hasn't been the same for 20 years now, man. Like Mike Tyson, really most of his damage was done before he was like 25 years old. In the last 30 years... This isn't the same guy that we were talking about in his early to mid-20s. His last four fights, he lost three of them, and he won one of them, which was a nonsensical fight that nobody wanted to see.
0: But that wasn't really Tyson, okay? He was having a lot of problems out of the ring. Health problems, drug problems, all sorts of crap going on, legal problems, jail time. Like, there are a lot of distractions. And you look at Tyson in the last couple of years— him personally he's really gained momentum yeah he was in the movie the hangover which was great that was nice for him he went on a tour it was kind of like a comedy tour storytelling tour through vegas he got to reconnect with a fan base he's been training like crazy you watch his videos you're like okay the guy can legit still fight to what level i don't know all i'm saying As I'm not sitting here going, I'll put 10 grand on Tyson to knock out Tyson Fury. That's kind of what I'm hearing. No, that's not what I'm saying. (laughs) But what I am saying is two things. One, don't ever underestimate a former champion. They were a champion for a reason. Two, don't ever underestimate an older guy who feels like this is maybe his last shot, his last kick at the can. And three, don't underestimate a guy who has a heart of a lion like that. You know, he may lose, but he's going to let you know you've been in a fight. Oh, sorry, BK. Here's the thing with that. Tyson
4: Fury has faced heavyweights before, but we've heard numerous people who fought Mike Tyson say nobody hits as hard as Mike Tyson. I don't know if Fury can withstand one punch from Mike Tyson. Tyson can take Fury... I don't know if Fury can handle a punch from Tyson.
1: He's 53 years old.
4: Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, straight that strength doesn't go anywhere. When
0: you get hit with a body shot from Mike Tyson, it feels like somebody just ran into you with a Buick into your ribs. It did. It did. No, it Th- does. There was
1: once upon a time when that was the case. Mike it Tyson really, is still it scary. It still
0: does. I tell you right now, even if he's got just a little bit less of that oomph, which, by the way, he may actually have more oomph. Looks not like good when it. he was 20. Uh, not when he was 20, but the latter part of his career that you're alluding to, where you're like, well, you know, he was he was average guy. I guarantee he's a better version of Mike Tyson now than he was then. And Tyson Fury, he's not a guy with a great body. And you get inside that reach, and he gets knocked around a little bit in the rib cage, starts breathing heavy, spitting blood. I'm telling you. He's
1: 53 years old. This fight's going to be an embarrassment. Mike Tyson is not going to do well. That's
0: my personal opinion on the matter. If this fight happens, we, my friend, will be wagering. This is Jamie Rivers.
1: I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Get your questions in 65780 is the Air Comfort Service Tax line. We'll get to questions and answers coming up in about 15 minutes. But coming up next, Buster Olney, one of the best MLB insiders out there. What's he think about what's next for baseball? We'll talk
2: to him next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 101- 101 ESPN.
1: With Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Reeves and BK on 101 ESPN. We're trying to track down Buster Olney. Obviously, a busy guy right now. A lot going on in baseball. I told him we to shouldn't have least. called him from
0: your phone. He saw Brandon Kylie came up, and he's like, Nah, I don't know. I may have to go watch grass grow instead. <laughs> Don't need that in his life, that's for
1: sure. <laughs> so we'll try to get Buster Olney here on the phone in just a moment. But I I, I finally won over the tax line, Jamie. 65780 okay. is the Air Comfort Service tax line. For once, I agree with BK. Jamie has to be trolling, thinking <laughs> a 50-something Mike Tyson could do anything against Tyson Fury, the champ. In his prime right now. So
0: first things first, I'm very proud of you for getting a positive text. Okay, we're not going to we're not going to rain on that. It's a crowning achievement it is. for it's me. It's a, a great achievement. And the texture, you know what? I'm not trolling. I've seen a lot of guys that are aging, especially in the fight business. That you know they have that one great fight left in them. I mean, there was this guy called Rocky Balboa. Oh come on! I was on. just gonna say, have we heard of Rocky? Yeah, like this guy here. He was a champ of all champs. There was a time when he even uh, there was like a simulation of a fight one time, and everybody picked Rocky to win, and he won. And then the real champ was like upset about it, and like called him out. Rocky was old at the time too. I don't know. If, you remember that guy, Rocky Balboa? But anyway,s he accepted the fight when he ultimately didn't win the fight. But what he did win was the you know the respect of everybody out there. So I, I just think of Rocky Balboa in times like this, and just how good he was. I don't even know how to respond to that.
1: I, do, I don't even know what I'm supposed to say with that. You know that was a movie, right? What? You know that It wasn't a documentary. Real? It was a movie. That wasn't a live sporting event? No. no oh, no. man. <laughs> I bet a lot of money on that. From the 314. People don't forget, my, uh, BK also thinks Michael Jordan is mediocre. That's not true. That's not true. I've said he's the greatest player ever. Listen. You have corrected yourself. I Stop it. You have. Mike Tyson was an unbelievable fighter in his prime, maybe the best that we've seen. Like at at his peak, he's at least in the team picture of the best fighters that we've seen in heavyweight history. That being said, he is 53 years old. Mm -hmm. I don't understand how I have to argue this. Like, there is a time when suddenly your skills diminish. We saw it with Peyton Manning in the NFL. Suddenly he couldn't throw the football anymore. This happens all over the place, Jamie. I understand you've got one more game in you. you got one more fight in you. That's all well and good. That fight was like
0: 20 years ago for Mike Tyson. Okay, but that fight me, is not today. Let me just put something in perspective here a little bit. You remember Ryan Reeves played for the Blues? I've heard of him, man. Big tough guy, yep. right? I guarantee he would not want to fight Tony Twist anytime soon. And Tony's 54 years old. Nobody wants to fight Tony wait, Twist no, okay, right but, now. Okay, so do the comparison, though. Tyson was ferocious punching machine, much like Twister. Jamie, what? We're not comparing the heavyweight title well, we holder right we are because right Reeves now. is the current NHL yeah. title. It's different, though. Fighting in hockey is okay, different wait, than being a boxer. How is it different? Both guys, you, I, this is apples to apples right now because you have one guy that's current as the heavyweight champion right, against an Maves older a guy, hockey
1: player today than than Twister is. It doesn't matter. Put him in a fight. I understand what you're saying, but when you're in a hockey fight, you're in a confined space. Like it, it is not so, the same as going to like a ring rounds. where you're confined
0: to a ring. It's unlike a <laughs> ring. Come on, Jamie. We're not real we're not really arguing this. My yes. P- my it point is, is it, this. My point is this is that if Twister could have a chance against a guy like Reeves and probably beat him. Then, in a short fight, a six round fight, Tyson would have the ability to not, ju- maybe not beat him but certainly participate with him full throttle.
1: With Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Rivs and VK on 101 ESPN. We're trying to lock down uh, Buster Olney. Uh, we'll hopefully get him on the show either momentarily or later on today. So Major League Baseball is making its plan known. The one thing of news that really did come out last night with uh, Rob Manfred on CNN was him talking about players getting tested and uh if we could get that audio alex of rob manfred from last night on cnn we'll go ahead and throw to that here in just a second but he was talking about what exactly is going to be coming for players and how they can make this the safest possible environment he was asked about if multiple players do test positive what does that mean for baseball here's what rob manfred had to say yeah the
5: the the economic Effects are um, devastating, uh, frankly, for the clubs. Um, we're a big business, but we're a seasonal business. I don't think business. this is the right one. What the one can't worry
1: about multiple players getting infected. So here's what he said, uh, Jamie. We'll get to this
5: here. Nothing is risk-free um, in, in this undertaking. We're trying to mitigate that risk with the repeated point of care testing to make sure that um, people who have had contact, have not been exposed and by obviously removing those individuals that have a positive test, they will be quarantined until they have two negative tests over a 24 hour period. So now we're starting to hear about the plan. We've
1: heard about the baseball plan. What does it look like when they get back on the field? Now we need to know, okay, what's a health plan look like? Mm -hmm. We've heard from players this is something that they want to hear and it sounds like they have a plan. They're going to test multiple times a week for players using a facility in Utah that MLB helps to convert as a COVID-19 testing lab. The return time on those tests, 24 hours, which seems fairly reasonable. They are also going to have, Jamie, instant testing for players that show any sort of symptoms for COVID. Those who test positive will be quarantined, as you just heard from Rob Manfred, until they test negative at least twice, so there can't be a false negative test that gets them back in. And those that have been in contact with players who test positive will then also have the instant testing as well. You're not going to be able to eliminate the risk of contracting COVID-19. It's impossible to do. It's difficult for us to do in our daily lives. It's going to be even more difficult for baseball players who have hundreds of people they're coming in contact with on any given day to eliminate that risk. That being said, this seems to me like a reasonable plan if and when baseball is going to return.
0: Yeah, look, I think that it's nice that... Manfred made himself accessible to the media. I think it's great that he went on a major network to discuss baseball and kind of what they're doing, how they're looking to move forward, the, the risks involved, the testing, everything that go, that goes with it. Uh, and I've also seen a couple things, too, where over in Italy, they have these little, they call them sanitation tunnels, where they're putting them at the doorway of the office building. And as you walk in, it's like little doors that go behind, and the, they spray you with like a sanitation. Interesting. And then you proceed inside the office building. So, yeah, I could see, especially with the money that baseball has, I could see that every time you leave the clubhouse to get out onto the field, each player gets so-called uh, you know, sanitized and goes out and plays. I'm telling you, I, I'm becoming more of a believer all the time now. And there's also a robot that I watched yesterday driving around parks and spraying. What? Yeah, I'm not joking. It's crazy. I'll pull up some of this stuff and I'm sure some of our textures have probably seen it. It drives around like parks and sprays like sanitation <laughs> stuff to clear up everything. If this is what's going on, you gotta be able to think that a baseball stadium and a clubhouse could be sanitized pretty darn well for these players to hopefully feel like they're not as at risk as Blake Snell feels about it.
1: And like you said, there's no way that we could possibly eliminate this entirely. But if if we've got other things, if there's technological advances, like use them, right? Yeah, use these things that are at least going to make it safer. Maybe the sanitation process makes it 10% safer for the players, right? Do it, right? It's Anything. 10%. Let's do it. I'm in on that. So Rob Manfred appears to have a plan. This is what we've been waiting for. We we earlier on said ideas needed to become plans. They did for the baseball on-field product. We now know what it's going to potentially look like. They passed that on Monday. They're expected to talk a little bit more over the weekend about that with players. Now we have some of the health and safety negotiations, and that's what's going to come next. With Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Hubbard Radio's deserving delivery, saying thank you to those helping care for our community. Today's very deserving delivery Let's go into the first responders, working at O'Fallon, Missouri Police and Fire Department. Their awesome staff is going to be enjoying 100 meals today, delivered by Potbelly Sandwich Shop. Those meals are courtesy of Hubbard, St. Louis, and our good friends at Family Golf and Learning Center. A big thanks to Family Golf and Learning Center. And our continued gratitude to all those great folks working in the medical community and on the front lines from our station and the entire Hubbard, St. Louis radio family. Coming up next, time for questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Get your questions in that's
2: next on 101 espn we're back to the ribs and bk podcast on 101 espn
1: with jamie rivers i'm brandon Kylie. it's ribs and bk on 101 espn time for questions and answers 65780 is the air comfort service text line to get involved for questions and answers this one comes from the 314 so i heard you guys say that mike tyson was considering a comeback and made me wonder Rivs, do you think you could play a period in an NHL
0: game right about now? Just one period? Just one period. Absolutely. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind I could play one NHL period. I'll cite his Deke move again at the <laughs> alumni game. Just saying. Look, I obviously would have to get into higher gear with the cardio, but I'm assuming that I'd get a little bit of a runway here, maybe three weeks to kind of get myself back together. Uh, As far as the passing, shooting, all that stuff like that has never gone away. I work on skills every single day with people that are in the NHL all the way down to, you know, the the little squirts that are on the ice. (laughs) So that part of my game, it's actually probably better. And to survive one period, you got to break it down. How many shifts would I actually get? How much time on ice? Like a guy like Petro, he's like seven to eight and a half minutes in a period, right? I'm not Petro. So you're looking at three to four minutes when you break it down. That's not a lot. I could handle that.
1: The other thing is you might be in the ozone. Like, there's there's a situation where, like, you might not even be asked to do all that much for, yep. what, two of
0: those three or four minutes. Oh, but no, nah, I'd want to get involved. Understood. And that's but the poison. So that's what always ruined me is I always wanted to be involved, right? And there's a, a great saying that says sometimes when you're not noticed, that's a good thing. Yeah, no, not me. I'm going for it. Like, guys kind of cross the ice. I'd probably get suspended, to be honest with you, first shift out there because it'd be a headshot of some kind.
4: Do you think you wanting to be involved was because of the success you had in the juniors? Because you were an offensive guy in the juniors.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, listen, that was really frustrating at first for me coming off uh, junior season where I had over 120 points as a defenseman and then being asked to be defensive-minded and play a physical role. I felt like I was always trying to fight my instincts. And so, yeah, you make some bad decisions because you're forcing things when you don't have to, and, you know, it takes time to get good in National Hockey League at the defense position, but, yeah, for one period, dude, no problem. No problem. Army, if you're listening and you need a guy for a period, heck, even a game. Think about it, Even a game at, like, nine minutes or ten minutes in a whole game, put me out there against the fourth line on the other team. What's the salary ask? Who cares? I'll play for free. <laughs> oh, That's gonna win over some hands right now. But if I get hurt, they gotta just take care of my medical expenses. That's all. That's all I want.
4: That was a publicity stunt there, BK. 65780 is air comfort
1: service tech slide for questions and answers. So yesterday James Harrison made a little bit of news suggesting on a podcast that Mike Tomlin gave him an envelope after his hit on Muhammad Massaqua back in 2010. Jamie, I couldn't bring myself to care about this story even a little bit. And then earlier today, it looks like just moments ago, James Harrison weighed in on his Instagram page saying, Wow, y'all really comparing what I said to Bounty Gate? Mike Tomlin has never paid me for hurting somebody or trying to hurt someone or put a bounty on anybody. Can we officially put this story to rest? Is this going to be a 24-hour story that I don't have to care about again after
0: this? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, I think I don't know exactly what happened. I saw... That he made a comment about Mike Tomlin handed him an envelope full of cash, right? He didn't say the cash part. He said he
1: handed him an envelope.
0: Okay, and so what my assumption... Just
1: to clarify, because it it appears that that's going to be what he...
0: Okay, well, my my personal assumption was that there was money involved in there. Now, I've seen it before, too, even though I won't discuss who and why and how, where the coach has paid a fine for a player before. And the player usually pays the fine out of his own paycheck. The league just takes it. And then the coach would be like, yeah, you know what? Slide you a little envelope with money. Sure that happens all the time. I feel
4: like that's different because I heard Ryan Clark uh, in the NFL talk on Get Up this morning saying that they used to put player pools of money for big hits or
0: something like that, in them. yeah, well, used the same in hockey, right? You'd have like the the game winning goal or the biggest hit of the game, and yeah. guys would put like hundred bucks, two hundred bucks, whatever it is, on the board. It's just kind of like you're motivating your own teammates. Where it, where the guy right. where it got kind of foggy was when you have your head coach down in New Orleans that's participating Saying, too. Go after this yeah. specific guy. Like if this guy here doesn't finish the game, hey, the guy who hit him, he might get five grand. Hit the head and the body will die type of stuff. Yeah, so, it, pretty much. It's not
1: great. I. I just when I read this story yesterday, I was like, people are really upset about this. Like, this is what we're getting worried about. I, I think it had more to do with the fact that there's nothing going on in sports right now than anything, 100%. Else because I,
0: I think that it would get some traction, anyways, OBK, just because of the, the temperature about the New Orleans Saints, that whole thing. This just kind of brings it all back. Heck, I even saw this morning a, a quote from Sean Pate, yeah, regarding James Harrison, like. Why what does he care about James Harrison, right? But now because of the bounty gate, now sure. they're dragging that. We're Honestly, we're searching for something to talk about. There's no doubt.
1: 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Jamie, Aaron Rodgers, he's going to speak to reporters later today for the first time since the NFL draft when, of course, the Green Bay Packers selected Jordan Love in the first round, traded up to do so. What tactic are you expecting from Aaron Rodgers? Do you think he's going to take the high road
0: here? I think he does. I think he does. I think that uh, if his questions he doesn't like, he probably just won't answer them. He'll probably just look back at the reporter and be like, come on, you know, next. Like, you know, I don't think he's going to be like Brett Favre and be like, I'm not here to hold his hand. I don't think he's going to say that. I think he's... He's just going to talk about having to get out there and win a championship, and he's got time left on his contract, and all he knows how to do is compete. All I know what I want to do is win a championship here in Green Bay. Jordan Love's a great young prospect. Hopefully, you know, he's got a great future somewhere, even here in Green Bay. He's gonna say all the right things.
1: I fully expect that he's gonna say the right things.
0: I think he's gonna go the
1: opposite. Of I, I kind of hope expected. he doesn't say the right things. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> of course. I think he's gonna kill him with kindness. I think he's gonna be like, "Listen, Jordan Love is an unbel—what you said, an unbelievable prospect. I can't wait to work with the kid." Um, I also think there's going to be subtle digs that if you read into them, it's going to be something about, you know, I would have loved a little bit more help on the offense. I would have loved another receiver, another pass catcher. I think it's going to be that route. I don't think he's specifically going to take any digs at Jordan Love. I think it's going to be more about, you know, we uh, we we struggled a little bit in the passing game last year and it wasn't it wasn't what I'm used to. And, uh, you know, I I thought maybe we would do a little bit more to improve that in the offseason.
0: Simplify the system, change a little bit. You're right. I can see that those little darts being thrown to Matt LaFleur. Just kind of zing.
1: Yeah. I think it's going to be more towards Matt LaFleur than it will be to Jordan That's a good observation. I agree with you. I think that's the route that he's ultimately going to take. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line for questions and answers. So, Jamie, I don't know if you saw this story. Stan Kroenke might be a bit of a con artist. Now, I think we knew that here in St. Louis. But Stan
0: Kroenke. The- no. <laughs> no. I tried. It didn't exactly land. <laughs> no, I landed just on its face.
3: <laughs> uh
1: According to Dan Kaplan, the Rams are requesting an additional $500 million from the NFL to offset their cost overruns on the uh, stadium. They're also asking the NFL to be able to repay their loans over 30 years instead of the 15 that they had been granted previously. All of this would ultimately mean instead of getting 400 million dollars that they pay over 15 years they're asking for 900 million dollars now towards that stadium because it's now five to six billion dollars instead of two billion dollars that they were hoping for and they're hoping to pay it off over 30 years if i'm the nfl i'm pissed I'm pissed. We were sold that you were going to build this stadium privately funded. You were going to give us the NFL Network Studios. It was going to be this massive complex. And now you're asking for $900 million, $500 million of which you're asking for during the middle of a pandemic when we don't know if we're going to be able to have fans in the stands and we're already looking at our economic models for this year. That's what you're doing, Stan Kroenke?
0: I would be pissed if I'm the league. Okay, one, I'm not surprised, okay? Take the track record of the individual and everything that's gone down and everything that's continued to go down, I'm not even shocked. So when I saw this story, I was like, oh, ho-hum. It's just Stan Kroenke and it's that BS Rams team that has got problems going on. And guess what? It's with the NFL who are in it side-by-side. Side. They're in lockstep with Stan Kroenke. So guess what? This $900 million ask, $500 million advance, and then 30 years to pay it off, he's going to get it. Why? You know the answer. Because the NFL has to have that franchise succeed. It has to... It's gone all in on the L.A. Rams and Stan Kroenke for this experiment. They've taken heat in St. Louis. They've taken heat in other areas. And guess what? The $500 million, probably already in his bank account from the NFL. It's been wired from Jerry it, Jones. <laughs> it's, it's been Venmoed, right? <laughs> from Jerry Jones to Kroenke.
1: 65780 is Air comfort service. Tax line for questions and answers. Final thing for you, Jamie. Just saw this. Shaquille O'Neal says, quote, We would have let Steph Curry drive to the basket, and I would have laid his little ass out a couple of times. Period. That's how he says it would have gone if the Lakers played against the modern Warriors. Who do you, we always talk about the Warriors versus the Bulls? That's mm. the one that always comes up into the conversation because most people agree the '90s Bulls were the best team ever. What do you think it would have been like for the Lakers, those early 2000s Lakers teams, to go up against this Warriors team?
0: The Lakers and Warriors? Yeah, I think the Lakers would have pumped them. I just Shaq's point right so there. Who them. would have? Who would have guarded Shaq? Who? Right? I know no, the game. Nobody. But, Draymond Green can't handle that. And then you've got Kobe versus Curry. And Kobe's still, in my opinion, top three, top four best players of all time in the NBA. So, you know what I mean? I, well, you, I, I think the Lakers, in my opinion, they were talented. And let's not forget, the Lakers are coached by Phil Jackson. That's a big, big, big. Advantage.
4: Then you get the contributing factors too. They had a Derek Fisher who was a three point threat. You had Carl Malone playing at the end of his career, but he was still a threat at the post. Mm -hmm. They had a lot of contributing, even Robert Horry who was there. Like they had contributing pieces off the bench that I don't think Golden State could handle either. Who's defending Kevin
1: Durant? I. There's nobody on the Warriors. The the, the answer for Shaq doesn't exist on the Warriors. Draymond has come out and said that he would have been able to defend. No. No, Nobody could defend Shaq then. And certainly today, nobody in today's game, he would have been a problem for for players today. Nobody can defend Shaq. I also don't know that the Lakers had anybody that could defend Kevin Durant. I'd like to see Kobe against him. But then what are you doing with Klay Thompson and Steph Curry? You, they, they, there were some matchup issues, obviously. These are two of the best of teams course. that we've ever seen I'm in the
0: NBA. I'm forgetting some of the but... Lakers' roster is a problem. I know they were deep, but I'm not remembering every guy, and well, and that's, that's f- causing a problem in my brain. I'm like, It's like freezing up right now. But they
4: had lower-level contributing pieces like it's not the, the Warriors who you had three or four weapons that can play anywhere on the court and I think that's going to be the problem who's going to have the bigger
1: advantage in the areas that can't be defended. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. it's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN coming up next, this pandemic could mean it's even more likely that Yadier Molina is back for the Cardinals 21. We'll tell you why next on 101
2: ESPN We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN
5: there are certain players, Cal Ripken, Tony Gwynn, Brooks Robinson, that
3: I've grown up watching, who you just look at and say, well, he's got to stay his whole career with that team. And that's how I look at Yadier Molina. So could he go somewhere else? Of course he could. Anything can happen in baseball. But my guess is, one way or another, the Cardinals and Molina are going to find a way for him to play his entire career in st louis
1: with jamie rivers i'm brandon Kylie. it's Rivs and bk on 101 ESPN. that was tim Kirkchin on the morning show a couple of weeks ago talking about yadier molina trying to work something out to stay in st louis of course that was after the comments to marley rivera of espn mm-hmm. as well when he said he would like to explore free agency this offseason if the cardinals don't decide to re-sign him I was thinking about this over the last 24 hours or so and thinking about, okay, what all of the different ramifications, the implications of what could happen if we have a season this year without the minor leagues. And one thing that I do think this becomes more likely of is Yadier Molina staying with the Cardinals next season. Let me explain why. If there is a season this year without the minor leagues— It means Andrew Kisner is very likely not going to continue his development this season. He's not going to be 100% ready to go by the beginning of next year, the way that he would have been if he was your starter at AAA this season. Another thing, with the lack of revenue that's going to be coming in from the gates this year, I do think it makes it less likely that Yadier Molina is going to be able to go get a massive payday somewhere else. I think there's going to be fewer teams that are willing to pay an older player, a lot of money over the course of one season. So that makes it less likely from the money angle of things. And the other thing, if you're the Cardinals, and we just read the story earlier today that they're going to be one of the teams that's hit the hardest by this, by a lack of gate revenue, you really want to take away Yadier Molina, a guy that is a fan favorite that you can do every other day, something with a giveaway at the stadium to get butts in the seats I think Yadier Molina, because of all of this, I think he was going to be back e- either way. But because of everything that's going on right now, I think it makes it even more likely that Yadier Molina is going to be back in 2021 for the Cardinals.
0: Yeah, look, I feel like yadi's coming back, okay? I felt like from the start that that would be the scenario that would evolve. He, he wants to be here. Marley Rivera is an incredible interview, and every time she talks about yadi she throws out the disclaimer. Just so St. Louis doesn't panic, she throws out the, listen, he never said he wanted to leave St. Louis. He hopes it works out with the Cardinals and all this stuff. But if the Cardinals don't want him, then he would be willing to go play somewhere else. So that being said, pandemic hits the world. Yachty's salary is not going to skyrocket at any point. And in fact, it's probably going to go lower based upon the revenues that are out there. It's The league-wide salaries are probably going to trend downward for a little while. That matches up perfectly. Now the Cardinals don't have to be the bad guy. They can come at him and say, you know what? We missed a whole year pretty much for development for our catchers in waiting. We'd love to give you a two-year deal. Yachty, we'll give you this year and we'll give you next year. And, but here's the salary because this is all we can afford. You know it, Yachty. You know, you know, like there's no secret here. You know, it. we got nothing coming in. So we'd like to pay uh, X amount of dollars, have you give you your two year deal. And the second half uh, of the second year of that deal, we are going to work in a young guy. Our next in line is going to take some plate appearances from you, it's going to take a couple of games behind plate and, and learn how to do it. But we'll give you your two years.
4: I do think the Yachty conversation got blown out of proportion. And if I know Yachty after covering him in the locker room, he's the kind of guy who, to me, that was a statement in passing. Like, look, I don't want to end my career. If the Cardinals don't want me, I'm going to continue my playing career. Like, that's the way it went. And then it turned into, oh, well, Yachty wants to go somewhere if the Cardinals don't
0: pay him. Everything gets hyper-focused right now, right? Because we really don't have sports. I mean, yeah, we have the KBO. Okay, that's great. (laughs) Great for those guys. But you know what I'm saying. Right. So even the James Harrison thing, anything that happens right now, it's getting put under the a microscope. Thing. And we yeah, <laughs> and Earl Thomas like we are dissecting this thing. And I think you're right. You know, I think Yadi, this is being blown out of proportion. But guess what? That's where we're at right
4: now. I think he put it out there, too, so that if the Cardinals decide they don't want him. It's on the Cardinals. It's not Yachty wanting to go somewhere else.
1: Yeah, I think it was taken exactly the way it was meant. Yachty or Molina wants to continue playing. If the Cardinals don't want him, he'll go play elsewhere. And that's what he said. That's what he meant. And that's how I took it, frankly. I will say this. Every time that you look at a transaction from a team, there's a reason behind it, right? And that sounds like an obvious statement. But there's, like, different things that have to factor into why a team is signing a player. There has to be the need there. There has to be a need. Why are we bringing you in? What is the role that you are filling? Well, for the Cardinals, there is going to be a need, very likely in my opinion... For a stopgap at catcher if it's not Yadier Molina. It just seems unlikely that Andrew Kisner, after not playing very much at all this season, is going to be 100% ready to go as the starting catcher for the Cardinals next year. So you need somebody there. Well, yadi certainly fits that expectation. You're going to need somebody that is probably not going to command a massive salary. Well, yadi probably fits into that now mm-hmm. because of the circumstances. Maybe that could have been the hang-up. It could have been. If Yadier Molina wanted to get a massive payday, get paid $20 million again, Maybe that's what ultimately kept this from happening. I don't think that's going to be the case now because I don't think that huge salary is going to be out there for him elsewhere. And the other thing is, if you're the Cardinals and you're trying to win over a little bit of goodwill with the fans, this is a good way to do it. There's going to be some fans that maybe think, OK, it's time to move on from him. But the vast majority of your fan base here in St. Louis, if they hear that you're moving on from St. Louis, they're going to be or from Yadier Molina, they're going to be pissed. And Don't. so if you can do the opposite and bring him back for a year, two years, whatever it is ultimately that the contract is signed, that's going to win you over some of your fan base again after a season that has potentially been lost.
0: Those are great points. You got to win back the fan base, you got to get people back interested in baseball, you got to get your hardcore cardinals fans to be stimulated with what's going on as far as the games being back played we're not going to have fans probably for a while and you know what the the percentage of fans that said is that you alluded to saying it's time for Yachty to move on i think it's time for him to move on i believe that you could even cut that percentage in half because money's not going to be the issue here because a lot of those people as we know be like it's time for him to move on he wants 25 million he uh, no no we need to move on from Yachty, right but if it's like, ah, uh, $16, 17000000 all of a sudden you're like, yeah, no, I don't want to move on from Yachty. I like him where he's at. Yeah, he's 58 years old. I get it. But he's really good. <laughs> it's twelve eleven. 11 Your
1: time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. There is something that I do think appeals to this fan base, and most fans in particular, Jamie. And when Marley Rivera was on with the guys the other day, she talked about how uh, he has this rare mindset where he's just this ultra-competitor. And I think there's something to this. We've been talking about it a lot with Michael Jordan. We talk about that competitive spirit, that competitive fire that these guys have. And it's rare nowadays to see it the way that Yadier Molina has it, the way that Michael Jordan has it. It's not the common theme throughout sports. You don't see LeBron James with that same, I'm going to step on your throat and I'm going to kill you. You don't, it's different. It's a different type of mindset that these players have right now. Yadier Molina is a throwback in that respect. And so I do think that plays into this as well of why he's become so beloved in this fan base. It's not just what he does behind the plate. It's not what he does at the plate as a hitter. It's also the mindset that he brings to the stadium each and every time that he suits up. Is there any other player right now that brings that for you, Jamie?
0: On the Cardinals roster or just in in general? In
1: sports in general right now where you're like, that guy has that throwback attitude that reminds me of, whether it is Michael, and nobody's ever going to be Michael, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. the the Michael Jordan mindset, The Kevin Garnett had some of that where he was just fiery and competitive each and every night that he was out on the court. Is there anybody else that you're watching right now that you think has that?
0: Well, look, I think right away, when you think of right here, hometown flavor, you got to look at St. Louis Blues. And I think that Ryan O'Reilly is a guy that has that fire, that has that competitive edge to him. Heck, Alex Petrangelo found a gear that he never had before, during last year's playoff run, Alexander Steen, we talk about him, he is a throwback leader. He's pulling you know, information from when he first came in the league, which is a long time ago, and he's passing that on to younger players. And that's why, ultimately, the Steens, the Petrangelos, the O'Reillys, the Braden Shens, that is what is created the culture where the Blues are right now. And so, yeah, there's other players around the league. You know, Sidney Crosby demands a ton from his teammates. Connor McDavid is always going, going, going. The motor's going. Zdeno Chara, in Boston, again, a bit of a double generation player because when he started out, the game was much different, and he learned from older guys as well. And now you talk to the Boston Bruins, and they're like, we can't go without this guy. And he keeps performing at a high level, and he's, what, 43 years old now. So he's very, very similar to what we're talking about, and he would be a massive Uh, hole in the lineup, not just physically, but his leadership too for the Boston Bruins. So those are guys that come to my head really quickly as we talk about it.
4: You know who I think can have it in the near future is Matthew Kachuk. Oh, God,
0: yeah, both I mean, of them, Brady and Matthew. Especially
4: watching Keith play and kind of how he, and you can attest this, Jamie, uh, how he controlled the locker room and he was a big voice. But Matthew's got that edge to him, too, that doesn't care who you are. He'll go out there, he'll throw the body around, lead by example, mm-hmm. and I think he's one
1: of those guys. A few other guys that immediately came to mind. Tom Brady, because of oh well, you know, yeah. Tom Brady. Oh. Russell Westbrook in the NBA. Oh. I understand if there's a lot of people that dislike Russell Westbrook, but he absolutely has this mindset. He has the mindset of if you're on the other team and you're playing against him on any given day, you are the enemy. It doesn't matter what your personal relationship is like, you are the enemy for those 48 minutes that he's going to be on the, on the court with you.
0: I worry about his his perception with his own team <laughs> more than I worry about how he's he viewed by... Do you know sure. what I'm saying? Yeah. He thinks his teammates are his enemies. He, at times it comes across That it's my way or the highway, which is fine. I get it. But after a while, it starts to rub your teammates the wrong way. And, you know, sounds familiar. I think I've heard this from somebody else. Michael Jordan. And six
1: rings. The other guy that brings it is Jack Flaherty. Jack Flaherty has that same mindset. Look
0: at you go. I like it. Come on. We're going to get you to be a Cardinals fan yet. I like it. I love Jack Flaherty.
1: He's one of my favorite players in baseball to watch because of that mindset. Like Jack Flaherty, I said this early on when I was here and I watched him as a rookie. It, he he is imposing as a pitcher. He is intimidating he in is. a way that is really rare across baseball. He's got that. I don't know what it is about him. I don't know how he achieved it, how how he was able to get it so quickly. But that dude has everything that we're talking about in flying color. It, it's amazing the way that he's, he's been got able a presence to adapt to him. Way.
0: And that's the biggest thing, too, is we talk about a presence from an individual. Sometimes you don't have to say hardly anything. Steve Eiseman's another guy, walked in the locker room. He just. Be whistling to himself, but the presence of that guy alone. And Jack Flaherty, that's what I think of when I look at Jack Flaherty. He's got a presence to him. Like, yeah, that's right. I'm here.
1: It's the word I was looking for, that presence about him.
0: He's Jamie Rivers. I'm
1: Brandon Kylie. That's Alex Ferrario. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Coming up next. Pierre LeBron suggests that the 20-team playoff might actually be more likely for the NHL than a 24-team scenario. We'll get to that next on 101 ESPN.
2: We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. The 24-team playoff scenario uh, that's been talked about on and
1: off for about a month, um, but it sort of picked up steam this week, Uh, has gained more attention. Um, The idea of not finishing the regular season Logistically, that might, be too, right? that might be too impossible, and then to switch it to a 2014 uh, playoff scenario where you would have um, you know, clusters of six teams
4: in, in four different places and have some semblance of a, of a play-in series
1: or play-in game to uh, figure out what the lower seeds are going to be. So th- that's sort of the focus now, at least temporarily. With Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Greg Wyschinski on the show last week. It is Rivs and BK on 101 ESPN. Pierre LeBron says that may no longer be the case, though. LeBron wrote yesterday in The Athletic that it might be a 20-team playoff that ultimately ends up being the scenario. He says that the play-in could be the seven versus the 10 seed, eight versus nine seed. Now I'm feeling like March Madness is back all of a sudden. <laughs> Jamie, you talk to these guys. You are semi-informed about these situations. What do you think is the most likely scenario right now? Are we going to see the season return? Are we going to see a twenty-four team playoff? Are we going to see a 20-team playoff? Is it going to be the typical situation for the playoffs in general? What, what are we expecting from these playoffs?
0: Uh, well, look, the, the ideas certainly are great. I, I like it. Uh, I think, again, it's to gauge the temperature from the players and the media and the general public. Personally, in talking to... Well, probably about five or six guys in the last 10 days, NHL players, they want a traditional playoff. They don't want play-ins. They don't want extra teams. Like, it's just too much, right? And they all want games coming out of this pandemic before playoffs start. So to me, that, that, that kind of screams out loud what we talked about yesterday is, yeah, you may be out of the playoffs, and you may have to come back and play five games and then go back into your summer break. It is what it is. I think the the overall feeling from the players is that they'd rather just get back to that 16-team playoff run and, and get after it four out of seven, four out of seven, be a true Stanley Cup champion, because that's what it means a lot to them. You know, I know the three out of five for the first round, I get it. But right now, the way it is, if you come back, you do have the ability to go with a traditional Stanley Cup playoff, at least the format, yeah, you come back, you got to play three, four, five games, and you go back on break. Things could be worse for some of those guys. And If that's their argument at the end of the day, I mean, go chase yourself, dude. Go find something else to do because I don't have time for it. And i tell any one of those guys, that I don't have time for your crap right now. Just play the damn games. Get everybody to a a, a a number that's the same. 75 is what pops into my head. 76, I don't even care. Get everybody to that mark. Then right there, that's when your your regular season ends playoff seedings begin and away we go the biggest thing for this is the runway that they have right now
1: we've talked about this a lot with joey vitale where he says listen they could start in december next year Mm -hmm. you ultimately move that season forward a little bit yes it makes things more difficult in the off season but you make it work right and also the other thing that it does for the nhl is you hope that next season by january february whenever it is who knows when it's going to be you're able to have more fans in the stands, which means more added revenue, and you're starting to get back to what your typical gate revenue would be for these leagues, and that's what they're hoping for. So if you have this runway, and you can do your typical mm-hmm. postseason, you're able to get what you would typically expect from those TV contracts out of that as well. we, we got to keep in the back of our mind: It's all about money at the end of the day. It's all about the revenue that they're going to be able to bring the in.
0: players want to provide that. Trust me. More Absolutely. than ever, they want to provide revenue for the owners because of their split with them and
1: so when you're looking at what the scenarios could be keep that in the back of your mind as you're kind of reading through could it be 24 could it be 20 is it 16 what's it going to be the playoff situation how many games will they Uh play when they return always keep in the back of your mind don't just think what would be best what i want to see also think what would make the most money and so when i see a 24 team playoff as a potential that a potential scenario that's thrown out there that's what my mind immediately goes to yeah. is we got more games that we can put on tv more m- different markets that can be involved which means bigger tv ratings potentially mm-hmm. for these I think that's what the NHL is looking for here is keeping more markets involved. But I also like your idea of bringing back all the teams, giving them that five-game runway, and then getting back into your typical Stanley Cup final.
0: Okay, so the hamster jumped in its wheel in while listening to you. And I have an idea in my head. Uh, a couple things. One, to your point about getting games for extra revenue for the owners and all that, I do think the regular season games could provide that for them. I also feel like that the bulk of the regular season games should absolutely be played in hub cities. That way, you can bang out a lot of games in a row quickly. You can get to your number of 75 or 76, whatever the league decides to do. You can get there rather quickly. Then, the teams that are out of the playoffs, okay? You take the bottom three teams in each conference. How much fun would it be, and this would generate revenue again, how much fun would it be for the bottom six teams to play a round robin style little tournament for the number one overall pick? And the winner gets the, the number one overall pick. The winner gets number you're doing one. the
1: opposite of the tanking.
0: That's right. So now you've added a, a whole other element. So you're drawing eyeballs. I to love it. Your lower tier teams right now. Now the draft is like at the forefront again. Now you can pump your draft up again if they don't have it before this happens. But those teams are competing, so you're getting playoff hockey over here. Not as good as the other teams, but it's playoff hockey. Then you have real playoff hockey going on over here, and you're generating revenue for another couple of months with both scenarios. Some of our audience probably like, man, that's hokey. That's dumb. Why are we doing that? I'm with you. I actually love the idea. They do it in Europe. Okay, they have they they call it the playoffs for the top eight. Te- I just sounded like Jim too Playoffs. playoffs? Uh, they have playoffs for the top eight teams, and then you have playouts. For the bottom teams. And the playouts are the same. They're exact same thing, except the team that continuously loses gets relegated and they lose all their sponsorship money. So it's a big incentive for the lower teams to win and then you're done. Right. This would be opposite. You keep winning in order to improve your team. And the higher you get in that tournament will dictate where your draft position is. So I
1: don't know if you've already gone through the whole process of getting a copyright or something for
0: this idea. but <laughs> hey, we... Steve Smith, if you want to write your second Yahoo piece, I guess uh, here's your material.
1: We've had a lot of ideas being stolen from this very show. Yep. Jamie, one other thing that I wanted to get to before we get to David Sampson, former president of the Marlins on the other side. You mentioned the Hub Cities. I saw in this piece from Pierre LeBron, he mentioned out of the five cities that he knows are still under consideration to be a hub city, three of them were in Canada. Now, we've talked a lot about the difficulties of playing in Canada right now. Is
0: is that what you're hearing as well? Yeah, no, I'm not hearing this. And I love Pierre LeBron, and he's as dialed in as anybody is in hockey. But, you know, he did suggest uh, that great wine conundrum to me the last time we talked. I think maybe, maybe he'd had a little bit of that <laughs> before posting this. It and and just joking around I love Pierre but right now Toronto they're saying Toronto can't have a sporting event until like September they're talking about in Alberta they're not allowed to have mass gatherings at all over 10 people so how are we going to do that Vancouver that's a whole other issue too they're not allowing any sporting events until I believe the end of August early September and that's like with no fans so I think the Canadian cities uh, that they're causing a problem with their own you know uh, provincial rules But now the big one is anybody who travels into Canada has to sit 14 days in quarantine before they're allowed to actually continue their trip. So if you're going to use one of these teams, I guess, in Canada for a hub city for all the Canadian teams, it's certainly not going to be Edmonton or Toronto because right now their provinces are like, nope, we're shut down. So you're going to be looking at like Manitoba, probably one of those ones there. But yeah, I'm not... In agreement here with what Pierre's got going on with Jamie Rivers. I'm Brandon
1: Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, former president of the Miami Marlins David Sampson's going to join us to talk about what he expects that these negotiations are going to look like between MLB and the MLBPA. David Sampson, next on 101 ESPN.
2: We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.
1: With Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESP. And let's go out to the Brown and Crippin Celebrity Line where we are happy to be joined by David Sampson. He's the former president of the Miami Marlins. He is now the host of the Nothing Personal podcast for CBS Sports. You can, of course, follow him on Twitter at David P. Sampson. David, how are you doing today, my friend?
3: Good. How are you doing? Good to talk to you.
1: Not too shabby, my man. So let's start with what is on everybody's mind today, and that is the negotiations between Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Players Association. What do you think of the players coming out now? And we've seen it from Blake Snell. We saw it yesterday from Bryce Harper, kind of suggesting that they're not happy with what the Major League Baseball owners are proposing to them.
3: Well, I really don't put too much credence in what Blake Snell has to say. I think that he's not exactly a spokesperson for the union I think that he was playing Twitch and playing video games and was answering a question, and he may be saying what he thinks, but just because he thinks it doesn't mean that's the way it's going to be or the way it is. It reminds me of Aaron Rodgers and J.J. Watt saying don't sign the CBA to their fellow NFL players, but it passed anyway. I think that the players, more than half of the 1,200 members of the union, understand that a compromise will have to happen, and it's about having good dialogue, and I just don't think the way Blake Snell went about it, or Bryce Harper, for that matter, is a way to get progress.
0: As far as the players are concerned, how, how what do you think the percentages are? As far as the players being worried about the money or the health and risk side of it, because I just I feel like right now there's a lot of. St- weight being put on the money part of it. But then you do hear with Blake Snell, even though, like you said, not exactly speaking for everyone, but he does mention the health risk. I'm just wondering what the players are thinking more about the money or the health
3: risk. Listen, a couple of years ago when Zika was around, we were supposed to go with the Marlins when I was president of that team a few years ago. We were going to play in Puerto Rico and we had a team meeting and there were a bunch of players who were vociferous that they were scared to go to Puerto Rico and play, and so we changed those games to Miami because they were fearing for their health and for the health of their spouses, girlfriends, or other significant others. Baseball, as an owner, you are not going to put your players in a position where you are endangering their health. You're not going to put your fans in that position. You're not going to put your employees in that position because it's not worth it to do, which is why you heard Rob Manford in a very sort of thoughtful way explain last night that there's going to be an 80-page proposal on how to keep everyone safe. I wrote a little bit about it on CBS Sports this week. And if you as a player aren't comfortable, there's nothing we can do. We're going to try to make you comfortable. But if you're not, then you just won't play until you are. That's the mature way to
1: look at this. We're talking with David Sampson. He's the former president of the Miami Marlins here on Rivs and BK on 101 ESPN. David, I am curious because there was a piece earlier today from Ken Rosenthal about uh, what we could be looking at for the for Major League Baseball with revenue sharing this year and the effects that it could have on teams for here locally in St. Louis, it feels like it could potentially affect the Cardinals in a big way. What did you make of that
3: story from Ken Rosenthal? I think he's right on as you know, as uh, running the Marlins for all those years, I can tell you that we used revenue sharing to help run our business without it. We would not have been able to function or survive. And that is the purpose of revenue sharing. And what's happening now is you have an issue between owners, but you don't hear them talking about it publicly because they want to take care of it internally and not have fans worry about it or focus on it. But when Ken writes an article like that, it gets a lot of attention. You've got big market teams, Teams like the Cardinals are a great example. They've got a very high payroll. They count on gate revenue much more dependent than we were in Miami where we didn't have much gate revenue. The Cardinals, the greatest fans in the country, filling that place. It was always my favorite road city to go to because that is the passion I always wanted to get out of fans in Miami. But that passion equals dollars, and those dollars go toward the operation of your team and the signing of your players, including, let's say, a Goldschmidt. So not getting revenue sharing or having to pay the same amount that you normally would pay. It's a non-starter for teams like the Cardinals, and they've got to let other teams know that. So it's going to be an argument.
1: Uh, so I would be curious. It, it, let's say that it does go down this path. How do you think that affects the Cardinals in the offseason? I mean, if we, we've been talking locally about the potential of trading for a guy like Nolan Arenado for, I think, five years at this point, and he's making $30 million a year. For things like that, transactions like that, how big of an effect could this season have without having fans in the stands for the Cardinals?
3: It will have an effect over the next two to four years without a question. Here's why I'm saying it you don't want to be in a position where you've got liabilities going forward when you don't understand what your assets will be. So, to put it in very simple terms, I don't know how quickly fans will come back to Bush Stadium. I don't know how quickly fans will pay what they had been paying for a ticket or what the capacity will be or what will happen with concessions or parking or any of the other ways that we make money off our fans. I don't know how those will exist. Therefore, I cannot promise to pay players going into the future at the rate I had until I understand how my business has changed. And I'm not going to know that for a year at least.
0: Okay, so the, now flipping the switch just a little bit here. I want to talk about the small market teams and that, that like you said, they they survive off the revenue sharing. How is that going to affect a team like the Marlins, even the Tampa Bay Rays, and teams that really need the help from their big brother, so to say, around the league? Are they at risk then of becoming a, a you know a, a team in bankruptcy that the league's going to have to try and save?
3: No, I don't think they're at risk of bankruptcy. I think they're at risk of even lower payrolls. So when the Marlins have their payroll, let's say it's $80 million, whatever it is it was going to be this year, that was assuming a certain level of revenue sharing. What you will see is that teams will have to trade players before a season starts because they're going to need to have a lower payroll. The only way I would ever agree to keep my payroll the same after this pandemic is if I had a guaranteed revenue stream from other teams or from the league where I could maybe even borrow more money than I'm allowed to under the debt rules in baseball. There had to be some way to fund this payroll that now that I don't have revenue sharing and I don't have fans, I don't have any gates, even however small it is in Miami, I have no choice but to lower payroll. You're seeing teams furlough employees already. The Marlins aren't the only one, but furloughing employees won't be the only way to save money. They'll have to move payroll. But then if I could just say one more thing, Who's going to take these players? In other years, you've got big market teams always willing to take on money because we would give them a player and take back nothing in return. Mm -hmm. We'd take a bag of balls or a crappy minor (laughs) leaguer who never had a chance just to give away the money.
1: We're talking with David Sampson. He's the former president for the Miami Marlins. I actually kind of wanted to go down that path with you, David, because, I mean, look at a guy like Mookie Betts, for instance. He's a free agent at the end of the season. He's one of the best players in baseball. What is it going to look like for him when he hits free agency with an uncertain
3: future for baseball? So who would you rather be today? Would you rather be Christian Yelich, who everyone made fun of for signing the extension that he signed, or would you rather be Mookie Betts? Christian Yelich, of course. (laughs) Yeah. It's, It's not even a question, right? So Mookie Betts has a problem. There is no way that any team, any team is going to give a $330 million contract and he wanted to surpass Bryce Harper, but it's not going to even be close. It is the worst timing for him. JT Realamuto from Philadelphia wanted to beat out uh, Buster Posey and um, Joe Maurer from the Twins. That's not going to happen. And it's not because the owners are purposely keeping salaries down. It's because with this economic uncertainty, it is basically financial negligence to give out those type of contracts now.
1: David, let me follow up on that because something that I've been proposing for Cardinals fans in recent days because of all of this is put the Nolan Arenado thing to the back of your mind. I I don't think that's likely in the offseason because of that salary that we've been talking about. And maybe shift your sights to instead a guy like Francisco Lindor who has one year left on his deal. He's got an arbitration year and then he'll hit free agency. David, I I have proposed that I think he's going to get less money than he was probably going to get otherwise because of all of this. And maybe that ultimately presents an opportunity for the cardinals what do you think about
0: that
3: yeah i love over your head that i also love the fact that if marcelo zuna had known then what he knows now he would have made different decisions and may have still been a cardinal i think that you're going to be looking at much shorter term deals and that will impact who gets qualifying offers and who doesn't i think that smaller revenue teams like the indians will have no choice but to trade their best players multiple years before free agency because of the need to get back quality in return to keep building your team. So the window to win with your best players becomes shorter for the smaller revenue teams and teams like St. Louis are in a great position to capitalize on that and get Lindor from the Indians. It's a great thought. And if you can get him, you can sign him to a two or three year deal and try to keep him or you play him out for the two years and let him go. But I think those are the type of trades that, The Marlins can't make, but teams like the Cardinals can. Talking
0: to David Sampson here on Ribs and BK, former president of the Miami Marlins. I have a final question for you today. In 2014, you were on a little game show called Survivor. Now, unfortunately, uh, one of the first ones voted off. Now, you're a guy that likes to think about things and analyze things. Analyze your performance on the show, and maybe why were you the first guy to go, David?
3: So, I appreciate you watching my 42 minutes on Survivor 28. <laughs> that was, uh, luckily, I don't uh, think about it every single day. <laughs> I think that if I had to do it again, I did two things wrong. Uh, the first one was not my, I didn't realize, but we didn't know it was going to be brains versus bronze versus beauty. We had no idea what the theme of the season was, and I had seen the cast. We had flown to the Philippines. I'd seen that there were beautiful women and, and Cliff Robinson and Tony Blackos. We didn't know their names. I knew who Cliff was. And uh, when the tribes were divided, I looked around and said, What's, this is interesting. How is this going to work? Then when Jeff Probe said, welcome to brains versus bronze versus beauty, and I was wearing a blazer and an ascot like Thurston Frickin' Howard. <laughs> I said, that's it. I better enjoy my three days on the island because that's all I'm going to get. And that's how it happens. He's David
1: Samson He's a former president of the Miami Marlins. He's now the host of Nothing Personal Podcast for CBS Sports. David, last thing for you. Do you think we're going to have baseball starting on July 4th?
3: No, I do not. I'm hoping for August. I think we can get an 81-game season in. I think that we need time to get the collective bargaining agreement Change. i think we need to get the health protocols put in place i think getting 81 games is critical because that's the least you can have and still have a season with playoffs after that and i'm very very hopeful and it will require a lot of work and patience and no more twitching from the players because i think it's hurtful not helpful
1: david samson we appreciate the time man thanks so much for hopping on with us today have a great day. Thanks. Absolutely. You too. That is David Sampson, the former president of the Miami Marlins, joining us here on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. So. Let let me put this out on the front end because we did get a text. 65780 is there. Comfort service text line. This guy sounds just like an owner. Well, he is the stepson, if I'm not mistaken. Either stepson or son-in-law, something like that. He's related to the former Marlins owner. So that's how he came in to be in baseball. And he was the president for, so he was on the business side of things for the Marlins. So if you're hearing that, that's where it's coming from. I did want to have him on because I think it's interesting to hear that perspective. Mm -hmm. Because these owners have thoughts as well. We've heard the player side. Let's hear what the owners are thinking right now, he's got a little bit of insight into that, and everything he said is kind of what we've been talking about. Lowered-end teams, these teams that are the lower financial realm, they're going to have to start selling off these players. I personally like him because he loved my idea to trade for Francisco Lindor. Said it's a great thought. You're going to have him on like every week now, aren't you? He's now going to become a weekly recurring guest. I find it really interesting, man, the way that he's talking about baseball owners operating in the next few years... It's not a one season thing. This is going to be, he said, two to four years that we're talking about here. He also said that we probably want to have baseball until August. I'm just going to run over that thing because hopefully it's July.
0: He also said something that sparked real interest in my brain. It made me think to myself, there's never a better time for this to happen. We'll get to that. When we come back Whoa! here on 101 ESPN.
2: We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.
1: Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Rivs and BK on 101 ESPN. If you missed it, we just had the former president of the Miami Marlins on the show, David Sampson. He's now with CBS Sports. I think it was a great interview. 101ESPN.com is the place where you find it if you missed the interview. We'll get put that up after the show, but Jamie had a significant takeaway from it. Jamie, what was your biggest take that you wanted to get to?
0: The the thing that became really clear to me In this is that because of the financial situation that these teams are going to be in, especially if the revenue sharing is off the board and you heard uh, Sam say, uh, listen, the the lower teams may have to borrow money from the league. They're going to have to lower their salaries. Right. Players aren't going to like to hear the last thing I just said, that they're going to have to lower their salaries. So this is a time, again, where I think there's a salary cap coming in baseball. I really do. And the way the owners are going to present this to the players is with that very comment right there. Well, we can't afford you guys, so guess what? We're going to have three or four teams that pay you like dirt because that's all they can afford. So the players go, well, no, 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 no. We want to make this, 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 and we're going to have a floor to where you at least got to get to whatever millions, okay? Yeah. Let's just, let's just like say. Every team has
1: to be $80 million. Let's put it at that, $80 or
0: higher, right? And you cap off at a certain level. And then after that, you could still have a luxury tax. Okay, so the cap is at one thing. And then you have the
1: soft cap the way the NBA has it. Correct.
0: Exactly. I think that is where Major League Baseball is headed. And it's only because of the financial problems they're having right now because of the pandemic and comments like that, that suggest that the teams that are in the lower revenue uh, models that don't get help from Big Brother, they're just going to not pay guys as much. Players are going to be like, "Uh uh-uh, no way. If I'm playing Major League Baseball, I'm making at least this much when I play.
1: So the thing the owners have in their favor is that the current CBA ends after next season, if I'm not mistaken. And so the negotiations for this are coming up basically now. Mm -hmm. The thing they have going against them is that players literally missed a World Series because they didn't want a salary cap. And when we first heard about this negotiation, the moment that we knew, oh, crap, this is going to get ugly is when Tony Clark, the uh, head of the MLB PA, came out and said, that sounds like a salary cap, that's a non-starter for us. And that was his first statement that he made after the MLB put out this proposal. So, as much as I hear where you're coming from, Jamie, and I understand if you're looking at it from the salary floor perspective especially, it makes some sense for the players, I think they're going to look at this with a thought of, this is a 10, 12 year agreement. Typically, is what you're kind of looking at for for these CBAs. Mm-hmm. If we're looking at it five, six, seven, eight years down the road, and they think that it's going to be good financial times again, they don't want the cap then. So, do they want to lock themselves in right,
0: like the NHL model, to where based upon, based upon revenues, revenue. you either you know you lower or you uh, you make it higher depending on what's going on? And I think here's the thing: is I mentioned the Marlins and some of the lower teams. I think that what I'm forgetting personally. Is that there's going to be more teams that are going to be like the Marlins and and the Rays and all the lower end because times are tough. What if we don't have fans? Heck, the Cardinals might be in a position to where they're like, we can't pay guys as much. We're going to have to dump some salary, and then to uh, our guest's point, well, who's going to pick up those players? That's the big problem. Right. Going so to then, face. if nobody picks up those players, guess what happens? everybody's salary starts to lower to a point to where nobody's happy anymore. The players at that point go, okay, you know what? The salary cap thing doesn't seem so bad if we have a floor in there that makes sure I can make this much here. And if we do well at the gate, if we find a way to sell baseball, that floor keeps going up along with the salary cap. Everybody makes more money.
1: If I'm a player, what I'm looking towards is the off season. I
0: I wouldn't start to negotiate
1: the CBA just yet. I would want to see, and I asked this question of David Sampson, I would want to see, what does this offseason look like specifically for the best players in baseball? Because we've all agreed around these roundtables, as we're kind of talking, guys like Mookie Betts are still going to get paid. But how much are they going to get paid? Are they going to get paid the way that they previously have been? Or is Mookie Betts going to look this offseason and his best option is like a 10-year, $250 million deal? That's a lot of money. All of us would agree... It's a lot of money. He's going to have an unbelievable life as a result. Yes. But he's already passed up 10 years on like $330 million from the Red Sox because he believed that there was more out there. If it's not... If he ends up having to settle for $250 million, again, I get it, texter, 65780, it's a lot of money. I'm not crying poor for the guy. But if I'm a player and I see that and it starts to affect the top end guys the same way that we've already seen a squeeze on the mid and lower tier free agents in recent years, that's when I start to get in the back of my mind, okay, maybe it is time. Maybe it is time to start looking at a salary cap. Not before then, though, for me.
0: But what you got to remember here is the the players. And I remember being one of those players. We lost an entire hockey season because we weren't ready to give in on a salary cap. The salary cap is probably the best thing that's ever happened to the NHL to both for both the owners and the players. Players, you know, they started creeping back up in the salaries to the point now where salaries are the highest they've ever been in the NHL. And the floor is raised to heck league minimum now is like six hundred and fifty thousand. Can you believe that? Like that's the least amount can, of can money. You believe that? I, Jamie? No, I can't <laughs> because I played for like two hundred and twenty five thousand. Right. So but that's my point is the salary cap of the salary floor that move up and down. They slide based upon revenues. It puts a pressure on the owners to do what? Sell the game. Because everybody has skin in the game here. The owners want to make more money. They want to make sure that the salary cap, if you're a team that wants to compete, the salary cap is a good level so that you can go get some good players. And the players ultimately benefit from this. They really do. As much as they think to themselves right now, I don't want this dang salary cap. In 10 years' time, with a with a really good salary cap in place, with a fair floor, and making sure that it raises up when revenues are good, you're going to love the model. In times like these, salary
1: caps are great. In times when the revenues continue increasing and the players don't realize that they're increasing the way they are, salary caps are great. In general, I think major league players, baseball players, still believe that salary cap is a bad idea. I will say this, though, Jamie. The leagues that have the salary cap are in a much better position moving forward to be able to deal with this. Because if you're a hockey player, if you're a basketball player, if you're an NFL football player, what they're going to do is they're probably going to smooth the cap. We've seen it talked about, discussed ad nauseum with the NHL. It's gonna be a flat cap next year. Mm -hmm. They're not they shouldn't actually have a flat cap. They probably should be at a loss. They should should be be going down. But the
0: players sacrifice their last paychecks to help that.
1: The escrow and all of these different things that go into it. And then probably for a couple of years would be my guess is probably gonna be flat for a little while to be able to recoup some of that lost money Mm -hmm. that they had. And then when the revenues start going up again, now you get it basically to where over the three year stretch, you are even, right? That's what we're going to see. And then eventually it starts to grow back up. Same thing's going to happen in football. They're probably going to have to have a flat cap next year if there's no fans in the stands. And then eventually it'll start to raise back up again. That's the opposite of what we're going to see in baseball. Baseball is not going to be flat. There's going to be a drastic curve down for most of these payrolls. And so for right now, there's no question that you're right. It is better to be a sport with with a salary cap in it. I just don't know if the players are ever going to agree with that for the long term.
0: Last thing to mention about a salary cap sport is you go, you get away from five or six power players, meaning teams, in, in your league. You get away from that because now teams that are middle of the road, smaller market teams, you have more teams that are competitive now. So, therefore, if you're a baseball player... Market size does
1: not matter anymore, suddenly. Exactly. At at least not as much. If you're a player
0: and you want to play in a certain city, but you're like, okay, especially in baseball, positional player, there's a guy in the way. He's been there. He's their guy. Now you don't want to go to this team because they suck and they don't have a chance. Well, guess what? If you have a greater percentage of teams that don't suck that have the potential of winning every year, now you've gotten a a more competitive league overall, and now all the owners benefit from that. What
1: I would want if I'm a player, if we're going to go to that, is one fewer years of arbitration. I get to hit the market at a younger age if you're going to do that.
0: If the the owners sell that, they'd be like, hey, where do we sign?
1: Understood, but I'm saying if I can hit the market, if I'm a player that makes it to the major leagues at 20 20 years old and I can make it at 25 hitting free agency instead of at 26 or 27, that's where it starts to be like, okay. This is starting to make more sense yeah, for me. if they have a know? salary
0: cap in place so you can't just blow the doors off of some team, then, yeah, I think it, I think that would be an easy concession.
1: He's Jamie Rivers. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Junk Drawer next
2: on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. It's time to open up the Junk Drawer with Ribs and BK. Brought to you by GFI Digital. People-driven. Technology-focused.
1: Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Guiley. It's Rivers and BK on 101 ESPN. Let's open up the junk drawer, Jamie. What do you got for us today?
0: All right. So uh, you're an NFL player. You're a first rounder. You're Ooh, oh, going well. Enjoying your life down in uh, in the Florida area. Okay. Um, and then all of a sudden, uh, you decide that I've had enough of this situation. Me and my buddy uh, that also plays in the NFL. Okay. We're going to pull out our guns and we're going to rob everybody.
1: What? What? Things went off the rails a little uh,
0: bit. Here. Oh, you think? You think? Just a little bit? DeAndre Baker, buddy. What are we doing here? DeAndre Baker and Quentin Dunbar, two NFL players accused of armed robbery, warrants for their arrest are out there right now. Apparently, they were just sitting around and uh, something got Did you he see what happened? Two men were partying. And uh, the guns came out, the jewelry was taken, the money was taken, $18,000 Rolex. From what I understand from this
1: story, apparently they had been hoodwinked by these people. They had a little bit of their money taken by these people. Some gambling going on. Yeah. And they felt like they were owed that money. Mm -hmm. And so in order to get that money back, and obviously other items as well... They decided, you know what we should do? We should bring an AK into the room Mm -hmm. and they will just hand over all of this stuff. Which naturally they did. (laughs) It it was an effective plan. (laughs) And now they are wanted on multiple charges of things that you don't want to be accused of if you're a National Football League player. So let's open this
0: up a little bit you're the Seahawks and the Giants right now because I believe that's where these two players are ultimately at this point uh, Baker is uh, Giants yep. yeah, and Dunbar just traded to the Seahawks, okay? He was on a Zoom
1: call yesterday with the media
0: after this happened! Yeah, and talking about how he, the, the perception of him, he wants a positive vibe around him and wants to be a positive impact guy in the community and then, And then the warrants for his arrest are leaked. So now, back to my original question. You're Pete Carroll. You're the New York Giants. What are you doing at this point? Like, would you make that phone call to these guys and go, okay, seriously, tell me what really happened here so we can try and help you? Or are you just like, "Uh, we're just going to wash our hands?
1: So for the Giants, they've got too much invested. Like, this was their first round pick, not two, three, four, five years ago. It was a first round pick last year. They just drafted this guy. He's a big part of their future. He's supposed to be a really good corner. Now he didn't play great last year, but they've got too much invested in him to just move on right now. So you got to kind of ride it through. And if you're the Seahawks, They traded for Dunbar, thinking he's going to be a starting cornerback for them this year. For an already good defensive team. And suddenly now you've got this hanging over his head. And oh, by the way, the biggest issue that these NFL teams have, and I think this is for sports in general, but especially for NFL teams, they want to hear it from you. If something goes wrong that is going to hit the news cycle, they want you to let them know about it before they see it in the news cycle. Based on the fact that the Seahawks trouted this guy out as, hey, this is our new cornerback. You want to talk to Quentin Dunbar? Ask him all about how he's been preparing for the season? Oh, my God. That happened yesterday at, like, Uh. 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Yesterday at, like, 2 o'clock in the morning was when all of this stuff happened. Can you imagine how pissed off? He clearly had not Uh. talked to the team about it yet. And so they can't (laughs) be happy about that in and of itself. I... I don't know how you respond to I, this. I don't
0: know what happens to these guys from here. Um hopefully they return everything and that somehow the charges get dropped, but my god, fellas, you got to make better decisions. Didn't you hear what Chris Carter way back in the day? Got to have a fall guy. Got to have a fall guy. It's not you with the gun. Your buddy walks in with the gun and robs everybody including you, okay? And then you meet him up later and he gives you back your things and you take everybody else's things. That's how it works. I hear. Huh? <laughs> Interesting that you've uh, you've heard that Jamie. Who was your fall guy, Rivs? <laughs> My fall guy? Uh, actually, I was the fall guy. That makes more sense. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> that I mean, makes a lot of sense. When you're a young guy in the league and whatnot, you are the fall guy because everybody's like, ah, oh, he's young and dumb. Yeah, for, it, got, it had to have been him.
1: Which one was the more ridiculous story that we've heard over the course of the last, I think it's seven days now? This one or the Earl Thomas story where his wife finds where he is based on his Snapchat that she apparently has the login info of. And we've heard a little bit more of the story now. She saw a picture of Earl with these girls and saw a purple light and knew roughly where he was based on his location on the Snapchat. And then just drove over to that area looking for a purple light in one of the
0: houses and then walked into that house when
1: she saw a purple light,
0: hoping that he was in the right Good for place. for her, man. She's watched a lot of CSI. She knows what's going on. To me, the most ridiculous, the more ridiculous story is this one. Really? I mean, oh, yeah, because, listen, you got guys, there's people who have out extramarital affairs all over the world, right? So it's kind of like, okay, big deal. She shows up with a gun. Yes, that's certainly she has. And her, his friend had a knife. With she's her adding a lover. Part. But this one here, like Earl Thomas, he's glad he got out of there alive. I know that. But this one here is you've got two NFL players, current players, pulling out guns and robbing people at a party. Like yes. how dumb is that?
4: But he also had Earl Thomas naked in bed with his brother, allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. I don't and know it, how you can allegedly there other that. Other people
0: in the bed, not just him uh, and his brother. Still, regardless, there were multiple women in there. as Yeah, well. there could be multiple women allegedly. in there. Allegedly. But come on, either guys. way, guys, stay hot. <laughs>
1: <laughs> with jamie rivers and alex ferrario am brandon Kylie. it's the junk drawer on 101 espn so jamie i wanted to get into this story because we know that restaurants are starting to reopen and here in st louis it sounds like it's probably going to start on monday there are some in st charles over by you that are opening basically today
0: they were open on the weekend it's wild and it was wild to walk in and see how they're doing it they're trying real hard I don't think there's a perfect model, but they are trying. So there's a new model
1: that is going to be tested at at least one high-end restaurant. This is at the Inn at Little Washington, and this is in Washington, D.C. They are going to try, because you have to social distance right now in restaurants, to fill the empty tables with mannequins. These mannequins are going to be dressed in 1940s attire. So instead of having... Full table, empty table, full table, and so on and so forth throughout the restaurant. Every table will hopefully, depending on how many people actually go to these restaurants, be full with half of them having real people and half of them having mannequins at the table pretending as if they're eating. I would rather just not have people at these tables. See, I'm the other way. Really? I think that,
0: yeah, think about it. How much fun would that staff have if, you know, the manager says, okay, look it every day or every other day we're going to change their outfits. We're going to change them from seat to seat and they the characters themselves the mannequins they start to become part of the show, right? And so you're going in you're going in every week now to see what they've done with the mannequins. Like, totally change it up, much like you would back in the day at a department store where every Monday they had a new scene in the window, right? So this, I think, is fun. Uh, Is it a little creepy? Maybe you're sitting there trying to have a romantic conversation with your significant other. You look over and they are like, why is that mannequin staring at me? (laughs) His eyes are following me, Right. But I, I think there's a way to have some fun with it, and, and certainly, you know, if nothing else, it becomes social media fun. Where you can have pictures, you know, get your picture taken with a mannequin type thing.
4: You think fun? I think you need to head to a padded room at
0: the end of the day. Well, th- I already—that's already done. Do every you talk day. to yourself? I talk to myself okay. all the time. He's got some Sammy Watkins theories that yeah, he's got I was as well. Say. I still think the mannequins would be fun. Rivers I looks
1: care. forward to changing the mannequins.
4: You're
0: out drinking with your buddies, or you want to belly up for a nice dinner, and there's a couple of mannequins there in the next say, week. I this
1: is a three-star Michelin restaurant. There I
4: don't you think go. you're
0: out
1: drinking with your buddies at this spot. Yeah, sure well, okay, you we, we, I We... Let me clarify, Jamie Rivers, former Blues defenseman. I'm Brandon Kylie, not a former Blues defenseman. We have very different ideas of where we go drinking with our buddies. I forgot point. about that.
0: Not that I ever paid at those restaurants, but I was lucky enough to be friends with the guys who could afford to go well, to those they gotta, restaurants. They got to help out their, their fall guy. They had their fall guy and the court jester. Yeah. That's basically what it was. That was the payoff. Hey, Rivs, entertain us. We'll pay for your salad.
1: I'll go to the dive bar. Jamie Rivers going to a three-star Michelin <laughs> restaurant for his drinks.
0: With Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK
1: on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, I think a shortened season is going to change the way that Mike is going to have to manage this Cardinals team. And I think you're going to be happy with what the result is. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN.
2: We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Let's say if this was a
1: normal
6: season, you'd have to take a hard look at Dexter Fowler and Matt Carpenter and Tyler O'Neill and Bader and Lane Thomas and say, okay, we have a pretty sizable leash for these guys to get in, kind of get eased in, see the the things that they worked on. Um, and if you lose some games along the way, it's okay because it's a 162 game regular season. This year you can't. That leash is going to be very short. you got to play your best guys.
1: With Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Rivs and BK on 101 ESPN. That was Danny Mack on the show earlier this week talking about how Mike Schilt's going to have to change his approach with a shortened MLB season. Jamie, I agree with him. I think there is going to have to be a change in the approach of how you're going to manage this team in an 81-82 game season. I think we're going to see Mike Schilt with a shorter leash than what we've seen in years past. He's been known to have a really great second half of the season because he figures out who his best lineup is and then he runs with it in the second half and he rides those guys and he moves forward with them. This is going to be a little different. There isn't that buffer period at the beginning of the season. If you start out three and nine, five and 10, whatever it may be that could ultimately haunt you to the point where you don't make the playoffs as a result of it. So if Dexter Fowler isn't performing early on, you got to be willing to make that switch right away. If Dylan Carlson is clearly your best left fielder, you got to run with that. If Tommy Edmond is outperforming Matt Carpenter, you got to go with Tommy Edmond at third base. He's got to ride the hot hand in a way that normally you wouldn't expect out of Mike Schilt, but that has to be the way that he manages this season if and when we get back to the shortened season.
0: To me, it's going to be a situation where the managers are going to be allowed to manage the team exactly the way they want. And what I mean by that is, yeah, let's be honest, it's hard to manage superstars. In a full regular season, it's hard to bench a guy. It's hard to pull Matt Carpenter out of the lineup. It's not an easy thing. Shortened season like this where it's a sprint, Mike Schilt doesn't even have to explain himself. You went 0 for last three-game series, you're out. Take care. Get over there. You know, And the expanded rosters are going to help him Make that decision. He's going to have more players at his disposal should he need to use them. So, yeah, you know what? I think it's, uh, again, I think Mike Schilt is the right guy for this scenario. I think that he is Mr. Baseball. He likes to dissect every single thing there is about baseball. And I think that he's got a pretty deep team now. Would you like to have a couple of heavier bats or Matt Carpenter come back with the bat he had a couple of years ago? Yeah, he'd love to have that. But that being said, Dylan Carlson, ordinary situation. You wouldn't have him probably because you're like, yeah, you know, one, the roster would be limited. Two, you'd want him to get reps in the minors. Well, right now, I want him in the lineup. If he can hit the ball, if he can play, he's going in. Tyler O'Neill gets hot. Guess what? You're staying in. Dexter Fowler gets cold. Hey, Dexter. Get to the end of the bench. Like it just is what it is in a shortened season like this.
4: I'm thinking advantage Mike Schilt beyond the shortened season too, because I'm thinking of what we just heard from Sampson in the previous hour, talking about teams that may be looking at their rosters differently. They're going to have to go with their prospects. They're going to be utilizing younger players rather than paying these superstars. Who works better with minor, with young players and getting the best out of them than Mike Schilt? Shortened season, point. yes. But the next season, the following season, two, three years from now, when you're looking at a full year and you need the most out of Dylan Carlson and Tommy Edmund, while other teams are trying to find that, Mike Schilt advantage on that one. In
1: general, the Cardinals organization is at a good spot right now for this current situation. The way that they develop players is probably, arguably, the best in baseball. They have one of the best farm systems consistently producing solid major leaguers in all of baseball. They don't hand out those massive contracts very often. It's been a point of contention for a lot of the audience. But during this time, it could actually be a good thing. It could be something that helps them. They've got some guys that have big deals that are coming off of the books pretty soon with Dexter Fowler or Matt Carpenter. They're actually set up to handle this better than a lot of the other organizations that are out there right now.
0: So we got a text from a 314. Uh, says, uh, you guys, it's not fair to single out Dexter Fowler and Matt Carpenter because if Paul Goldschmidt starts off slow, do you think that Mike is going to pull Paul Goldschmidt out of the lineup? No, he's not. In other words, everybody's not treated the same. Okay, so to your point, what is Goldie's track record overall? Yeah. The length of uh, how much runway do we need here for Paul Goldschmidt to show just how amazing he's been as a player and consistent. And even last year, which was an off year, and I say that gently, for Goldschmidt, he's still one of your best players. So if he starts off cold, yeah, you're right. I'm going to go with him longer. He is le- His leash is going to be longer. So to your point, yeah, not everybody's treated the same, but if you suck and you're not hitting or you're bad defensively, you just can't find your groove. You're coming out. Dexter Fowler, he's hot and cold, hot and cold. You know what? If he gets cold too long, he's out. Matt Carpenter, if you can't hit the ball, you're out. That's just the way it is. Paul Goldschmidt, I feel confident. In the fact that he's going to bounce out of it at some point
1: let's think about sales people right let's let's compare this to a typical job if you're a salesperson at your place of employment right now there's a lot of people that are that are cutting costs right and so there's, there's going to be some people that ultimately lose their jobs or have lost their jobs out of all of this if you're the guy that had one bad quarter you're probably going to get a l- little leeway from your boss right now if otherwise you're really really good at your job the guy that has been struggling for the last two three years now's the time when that guy could potentially be on the chopping block more so. And so I I compare that, and maybe it's a little crass, and I apologize for doing so. I think that's actually really good. That's that's what we're looking at here. If you're Matt Carpenter or you're Dexter Fowler, the scenario that we're looking at here affects you more than it does for a guy like Paul Goldschmidt. Goldschmidt had one down-ish season, although still by any measure a good season. A a lot of players would kill to have that season. If you're looking at what's happened with Dexter Fowler, the last two seasons— He's been bad to below average. Matt Carpenter, if you're looking at him the last year plus, yeah. he's been bad to below average. Those aren't the same thing as what you're looking at with Paul Goldschmidt. So is there a difference of opinion? Is there a difference in terms of the leash that they're giving? Yes, absolutely. Well, and and it in, should be a different scenario And
4: it's him. internal competition. I mean, Dexter Fowler struggles. you got three other guys who are younger who have a bigger upside than Dexter Fowler does. Matt Who's Carpenter, you got first baseman. Ron Hal Ravello, your favorite guy. <laughs> <laughs> he might be. Might love him. Well, yeah, you don't know, but
0: you're not going to play him unless Paul Goldschmidt's horrible for three months and costing you something. Yeah, and the leash is going to be very long for guys like Goldie, as it would be for Jack Flaherty and so on and so on. So, yes, there is a, a double standard, but that double standard is created by your entire body of work.
1: He's Jamie Rivers. I'm Brandon Kiley. That's Alex Ferrario. It's Rivs and BK on 101 ESPN. All right, Jamie. So yesterday, I was on ESPN.com, and they ranked their Top 74 NBA players of all time. I was Looking through the list, and their top 10 made a lot of sense to me, frankly. Number one, of course, Michael Jordan. Yeah, I can... <laughs> part that, but that's fine. Uh, Number two was LeBron James. Number three, Kareem. Number four, Russell. Number five, Magic. Wilt, Bird, Duncan, Kobe, and Shaq round out the top ten. I would personally have Shaq ahead of Kobe, but that's neither here nor there. Most of that is in a roundabout way, one way or the other. Probably roughly your top ten players that you would want in that list. I thought there was one ranking in particular that really struck me as being a little bit too high for me. It was Giannis Antetokounmpo. They had Giannis, who is one of the best players in basketball right now, as the number 27 player in the history of the NBA. Now, here's a sample of a few of the guys that are right behind him. At number 29, it's Allen Iverson. At number 30, Steve Nash. At number 31, Isaiah Thomas. (laughs) Listen, I love Giannis. I think he's a really good player. I think he's going to be really good for years to come. That's a lot of projection though of what is going to come down the road. Yeah. He's never played in an NBA finals. He's never been has he won did he win the MVP last year? Am I mistaken on that? Um, Regardless, Giannis is a great player. He is not Isaiah Thomas. He is not Steve Nash. For me, he hasn't even reached Allen Iverson level yet. we got to stop with this projecting and moving forward. Now, this might be a little surprising for some people for me to stick up for the old guys, but the old guys deserve a little bit more credit than this. He did well, win the MVP last year, Okay, honestly. So one MVP in his career where you've got Steve Nash and Isaiah Thomas who have been much better over the course of their
0: careers. Yeah, that's kind of weird to me that, uh, that they would put him in there so high at 27. If you want to give him a courtesy spot in your top 74 players of all time, somewhere around the 50, 55 mark, you know, because then you're you're still able to say, well, in five years, he could make the top 25. In 10 years, he might be in the top 10. But to put him at 27, and I'm just like, you know what, I'm not there on that one either. So when I saw this come out, when you sent it out last night, I was like, yeah, BK's got a point there. I actually can understand where they went with that. And if you look at the list,
4: it's it's not so much championship caliber of where you're ranking these guys, but with Giannis for how young he is and how fast he took over the NBA. Yeah, but how many, many years has he been playing? Only what four years? Exactly, Six, something like that. But four years to exactly. be able to become the top
0: player in the NBA. But these guys are all here beside him. They did it for yeah, decades. we're projecting fifteen though. years. Project. I hate projecting. That's something yeah. because you know a lot of things happen.
4: Well you but you gotta throw the question out there of what are we what are we ranking this by? How are we measuring
1: these the guys? The best player, the best careers. And right now he's he shouldn't yeah, he shouldn't be ranked at twenty seven based upon
0: having the best career. After uh, four years, it's not even a career.
4: Yeah, like, but with the competition, I guess in the NBA, if you're c I mean, if if he's already uh, one of the better players in the NBA with all of these names on here. He should
0: be on the list. Yeah.
4: He should be on I the list. I definitely think he should be ahead of Westbrook.
1: Chris Paul, because these guys
0: haven't well, won fine. anything. They shouldn't be as high as they are either.
1: No. They should be 50 or below. I think Chris Paul so far has had a better career than Giannis.
5: I, I, okay, I Alex.
0: I Everybody drinks a little too know. much on Friday.
1: <laughs> I would it's have okay. Chris Paul ahead of Giannis. I think Giannis at 27 is absurdly high. A few of the other kind of interesting, notable, modern players on this list. Steph Curry came in at 13, which both surprised me, and also at the same time I was like, you know, that makes sense, given okay. what Steph Curry's accomplished thus far. Let me ask
4: you this: Then, if Giannis wins two championships in the next four years, does that change your mind? Well, yes, yeah, yes, because but that's,
0: then we'll be moving further along this. in time. Do you know what I'm saying? But it's still he will have actually accomplished. But it's something.
4: still dominating the NBA. Isn't that an accomplishment in itself?
0: Not for a short period of time, because you've had one and done, two and done players that are fantastic. Then can't find their way. They find drugs, alcohol, women, this, that, the other. All of a sudden, it derails. Yeah. So for me, the to your point, yeah. In two years, if if that's the case, then yeah, then he he starts to work his way up the ladder for sure. I just think that's a really high starting point.
1: I think it's insane to have him that high already. Kevin Durant came in at number fourteen. Dirk Nowitzki at number nineteen. Scottie Pippen all the way up at number twenty-one. The twenty-first best See, I player think of all That's kind of low. Seems a little low to me. Um, Charles. Sir Charles it's right. at number twenty three. about right. Kawhi Leonard at number twenty five. Dwayne Wade at number twenty six. Those are some of the notables uh, in terms of where they rank already in terms of the best players of all time. With Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on one hundred and one ESPN. One hundred and one ESPN presents Play Glory. Have a St. Louis Blues run to the Cup. You heard last night. The hand pass game, Blues versus Sharks Game 3. Tonight you're going to hear Blues versus Sharks Game 4. You relive each game with added insight and behind-the-scenes commentary from Chris Kerber as we go through the 2019 historic run to the Cup. Pre-game starts at 6, play-by-play at 7. It is Play Gloria, the St. Louis Blues run to the Cup, and it is brought to you by Mitsubishi Electric Cooling and Heating. Coming up next... I think there is one player in the NFL that is wildly under underrated, and I don't understand the hate towards him. We'll get into that next on 101 ESPN.
2: We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.
1: With Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. <laughs> So there's an NFL player that I think gets way too much hate. Way too much hate. And maybe that's not even fair. Maybe it's not so much hate. Doesn't get the credit that he deserves. Let's put it that way, Jamie. His name is Russell Carrington Wilson. Oh, you got the middle name, too. Or close. Somebody's been busy on the old interwebs. So Pro Football Focus the other day ranks their top 100 players of the decade. Their top 10 made a lot of sense to me. Tom Brady, Aaron Donald, Drew Brees, Richard Sherman, Gronk, Rogers, Von Miller, Julio, J.J. Watt, and Luke Keekly. That's all fair. Uh, all of those guys should be somewhere up near the top or at the top. I get that. But Russell Wilson was all the way do- down at number 33 on this list. Number 33 among the best players of the last decade. Russell Wilson is one of the most accomplished quarterbacks of this decade. Russell Wilson today in my opinion is the second best quarterback in the NFL. He's better than uh, than Aaron Rodgers at this point. He for the majority of the decade, especially the last half, was better than Peyton Manning. I I don't understand, and maybe this is just a flaw for me. I'm totally willing to acknowledge that. I don't understand why we don't view Russell Wilson the way that we view so many of these other quarterbacks that take the league by storm. What what am I missing here,
0: Jamie? Yeah, I don't know what you're missing, to be honest, because uh, I look at that list, and then I see where they have Russell Wilson. And to me, one, he's been a fantastic player. He's got a Super Bowl championship. He's been... uh, a pioneer in in some ways of how the evolution of quarterback position has changed. Let's not forget, guys. He was five he five foot eleven mm-hmm. quarterback. Hey, unheard of back then. Yeah, you had a couple of guys, but unheard of, right? The the Ben Roethlisberger's and the guys are huge. These guys were like the stereotypical quarterback. Russell Wilson came in. Everybody was like, well, well let's see what he does in the NFL. You know. Well, what did he do? He comes in and played amazing right away. And so all he's done is continue to play amazing throughout his career. And last year, where, uh, let's be honest, they didn't have a lot for him to work with on the offensive side of the ball. And he still had a fantastic year, almost MVP caliber season last year. So I don't know what I don't know what we're missing. I don't know if he peed in somebody's yard or something, but my God. They
1: have Matt Ryan, and I like Matt Ryan. I think Matt Ryan gets uh, another guy that is a little bit undervalued by the, the typical NFL fan. But they have Matt Ryan ranked ahead on this yeah, list that's of absurd. Russell
0: Wilson. It's absurd.
1: It's crazy. That that should not be the case. And I will listen to the argument that Matt Ryan had the best season of the two, yes, sure. 2016, Matt Ryan was unbelievable. It was an unbelievable season. Went two one, but I'm pretty Which, sure they were up 28-3, to three, and I don't know what happened after that. We'll have to ask Anthony Stalter Let's later. Let's talk to him in the one. crossover. We'll yeah. see if he can All answer right. that for us. I, I don't understand that, and I also don't understand ranking Marshawn Lynch ahead of Russell Wilson. I know that for those early teams, the early probably first two years or so, Marshawn Lynch was really the identity of that team and the defense was the identity of that team. But we talked about this yesterday, Jamie. Early on in Tom Brady's career, the defense, the running game, the coach, that was the identity of the Patriots. Mm -hmm. Eventually, Tom Brady was able to break through. I don't know what it's going to take for Russell Wilson to have that same breakthrough. Does it require six titles? Is that what you ultimately have to get to? No, shouldn't be that
0: way. The text line brings up uh, an interesting comment here, too, from the 636. It's because he's a Sandlot QB. Okay, well, what is... Some of the greatest QBs in the NFL right now are Sandlot QBs. Yeah, look at
1: Lamar Jackson. Look at Patrick
0: (laughs) Mahomes. Isn't that the NFL today? the, The evolution of quarterback position has gotten to where your quarterback has to be able to scramble, has to be able to run, has to be able to change his passing lanes, and at the same time, still be able to step up in the pocket, hold the pocket, and find the guy that's open but Sandlock QB, if that's really what's holding him back, and our texture could be 100% right in the way that maybe these people, the way they're ranking it, are thinking. But if that's the case, like, I- I'm now I'm even more pissed off. Russell
1: Wilson became the starting quarterback for the Seahawks in 2012. Since then, they've won 11, 13, 12, 10, 10, 9, 10, 11 games. And every year they're contenders. They've won Super Bowls with him, won a Super Bowl, went to another, lost that one, no, despite that, the fact but, that they. Yeah. yep. Yeah. 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 This is a team that has been successful. A quarterback that has had borderline MVP type of seasons. It's crazy to me that we have arrived at this place. Is it... Maybe this is it, Jamie. When he was winning those Super Bowls, it was still... Tom Brady and Peyton Manning at the top. So we viewed them in a different light of Russell Wilson. And then after that, you've had so many different guys that have taken the league by storm for a season Uh that it's always felt like Russell Wilson was kind of on that second tier. You know, Patrick Mahomes had that MVP season. You had this year Lamar Jackson, who kind of overtook him as that guy that was the headliner for the NFL.
0: Sandlot quarterback.
1: Sure, but I don't know that there's been a season where he's been the best in any given season at the quarterback position. Whereas with Patrick Mahomes, there was a season where he was the best. Same thing from Lamar Jackson. Same thing for Peyton Manning. Maybe that's what it's going to take. Is it clear, no doubt, Russell Wilson was the best quarterback in the league this year?
0: Yeah, certainly. And I agree with everything you're saying. Now, that being said, though, and I don't have the ability to do it here right now, and maybe somebody at home can do it really fast, but I'd like to see Russell Wilson's numbers Against the other top three quarterbacks for the last decade and see where he ranks with, uh, you know, percentage, completion percentage, attempts, yards, touchdown, pat, all that stuff. I'd like to see where he ranked amongst the Brady's, the Rodgers, the Breeze. Where, Where is he? And now even Mahomes, right? Because he was right behind Mahomes last year. So let's go since
1: he's been in the league, right? Because that seems fair. Since 2012, I pulled this up real quick for you, Jamie. I'm quick like that. I know you're good like that. I appreciate. In terms of passing yards, he is seventh in the NFL in passing yards since he came into the league, behind only Matt Ryan, who's at number one, which is a little bit surprising. Drew Brees, Rivers, Brady, Stafford, and Big Ben. In passing touchdowns, he is fifth in the NFL in passing touchdowns since he entered the league. In quarterback rating, he is fifth in the NFL since he entered the. League. And in yards per attempt, he is fourth in the NFL since he entered the league, behind only Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, and Peyton Manning. And that doesn't include anything he does as a runner. Okay. That's so- only what he's doing as a thrower. He's objectively a top five quarterback since he entered the league. And that's when early on in his career, as we said, he was more of a game manager.
0: Yeah. So that being said, and you finding those, which great job, by the way. I appreciate it because this old fart is not able to find that stuff quickly. Listen up, pro football focus. I want you to (laughs) tune up, turn up your radios a little bit here. Pro football focus, you guys are wrong. In fact, when you made this list, I'm actually thinking that you may have been, you know, tipping back a little bit of grandpa's cough syrup because Russell Wilson is not a number 33 guy. He's a top five guy just during his career. So therefore, I think he's got to be in the 10 to 15 range based upon his production that's been consistent. So, pro football focus. Wake up! We're calling you out. The Wake other thing up. he's done, Jamie, he's been clutch. He has the most game-winning
1: drive since he's entered the league of any quarterback in the NFL.
0: Okay, well no then that puts him in the top more. ten.
1: It's got to, it's got to put him in the top ten. I, I, I don't get it. I also think it's a an absolute. Travesty that they didn't include Patrick Mahomes in the top 100 players no, of the last decade. They didn't? Not a single—nope. He because didn't make the top 100? They say See, that that's... he's done it for too short of See, a period of time, now which you're is starting... crazy to me.
0: Now you know that they're they're drinking too much over there. Never mind those guys.
1: He's Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. We cross things over and put a bow on another week of Ribs and BK next on 101 ESPN.
2: We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.
1: Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Rivs and BK on 101 ESPN. Time to cross things over with the fast lane. Anthony Stalter in studio. It's feeling like the old days, boys.
0: What's up? We ready for a Friday? Oh,
1: we're, oh, we're done, done, buddy.
0: I don't know if you know this. We do a show from uh, 11 to 2 each day, and I thought it was 10 to 2. Nope. They, no. Oh no no no. They, they took an hour from us. What? Yeah. Give it to who? The Danny Max, some guy. guy. Named Danny Max. What's I he done? Just, uh, he's actually, he's doing a he's doing a good job. He's uh, basically
1: he's worked job. for the Cardinals since I was born.
0: Yeah, he's uh, kind of a big deal around here. <laughs> so, okay. but man way, he's he's on a couple of calls. his he's on on the
1: couple the of calls. calls. He's, he's on, on the fast way. lane today, by the way.
0: Is he really? Mm-hmm. Yep, I think oh, right? Yeah, two I remember Friday. last Friday. That was awesome. He went a lot of fun. He went.
1: He gave us. He gave us twenty five minutes or so last week. Yeah. All right. So speaking of the Cardinals, speaking of baseball, how about this? We were talking to David Sampson earlier today, former president of the Miami Marlins. I heard. And I threw along my theory that I might have stolen from Anthony Stalter. It's fine. May have. That the Cardinals should stop talking, Cardinals fans should stop talking about Nolan Arenado. Mm -hmm. It's time to turn our attention to Francisco Lindor. He's on a one year deal after this year, he's hitting arbitration. Now, my reasoning was a little different than why you think that he should go after him. I think the pandemic has changed things. $30 million a year for seven years is what you're looking at for Nolan Arenado. you got a one-year deal left for Francisco Lindor, and then he hits free agency. And if it is true that these guys aren't going to get the same amount of money that they were expecting because of this pandemic, because of the loss of revenues, that could be a good spot for the Cardinals to take advantage of an opportunity that presents itself by getting one of the best players in all of baseball signed to a contract that will be below market value.
0: David Sampson agreed with everything I said. He did. I was actually, I almost had cardiac arrest right here in the studio. Jamie, how big did BK's head get? Why do you think I'm bringing it up? Why well, right do now? you think he can only fit one earphone over his okay. ear right now? Because they sense. don't well, stretch out large he's enough. Got the earring though. Oh, that's right. He doesn't want to yeah. mess can up can the mess bling. Up. Right. Yeah. I've
1: got a small head, big nose. We we deal with it. Okay. There <laughs> you go. And we get a guess. <laughs> <laughs> Lindor's
6: got one year left on his deal after, after this year. 2020. Yeah. I mean, I I think Francisco Lindor. I think Jamie, you and I were discussing this back in geez, October, November, yeah. whenever last off was. You
0: did have it pegged back then. I you wanted did. him. Yep,
6: and then people kept asking, "Well, why you don't like Paul DeYoung?" It's not. It's not about Paul DeYoung. It's about Francisco Lindor. You kick Paul DeYoung over to third, and then you've got a third baseman. And yeah, you've got to eat some of Matt, Car- Matt Carpenter's contract if you can't deal him, and he's got the no trade clause. So mm-hmm. You probably. Wouldn't be able to deal him. What about the DH potentially? Did? Exactly. Well, that's you, a, you, you that's the whole out. new
0: thing, right? Is the sure. DH now all of a sudden you are like, okay, this makes total sense, and we don't even have to crush anybody's feelings. Too right. bad. Right. Lindor is a top of the order, middle middle of the
6: defense presence.
1: He's a franchise player.
6: He's a franchise player. He's and the he's, guy that the Cardinals what, have been missing.
1: Yeah, twenty six. Yeah. I
6: found out yesterday. Twenty six in his prime. He's <laughs> a stud. He's an absolute stud. Now. I don't think that he fits the the like Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt. Bring your lunch pail to work every day.
1: I think he would he's, once he gets here, though.
6: Probably, and he's not. It's not, but he's not. He's not in. He's not like a malcontent. He's just. He's a little flashier. He's somebody that likes to be, from what I'm told, kind of in the spotlight. No problem. He's Do a your young thing. Guy. He's a, a lot young, of young players, young
1: like guys. He's a star. He's a star player. You know who he reminds me of a little bit, and how I think he would be embraced here in Saint Louis, Jose Martinez. He's got a little bit of that same personality where it's going to be a little flashier than what you see from the Cardinals right now. It's going to be a little more excitement. There's going to be a lot more smiling. There's going to be a lot more fun that is had. That's not a bad thing. And Cardinals fans loved Jose Martinez because he brought a lot of that to the clubhouse. Now he's got to be good. That's the yeah. that's the significant part of this. If he's not, then now it looks like he's horsing around, and then you get things that are right. said that maybe don't need to be. But Francisco Lindor, I think, if he ends up coming here and is good, that's important part. I think he would be embraced in a way that we maybe wouldn't have expected otherwise. Yeah, and that, I, think, I think this fan base would love him.
6: And again, I mean, he fits he fits what your identity is, which is run prevention, because he's an outstanding defender. And I know that Paul DeYoung has gotten really good at shortstop. But he doesn't have the range that Francisco Lindor has. So when you when you have a guy that plays a premium position and hits at the top of your order, and he's twenty six, yeah, this is why this is why I made that argument.
1: And now it makes even more sense because of the pandemic. Because you're in a situation where previously, if you get him for a year, you don't know if the Cardinals are going to re-sign him after that, right? If he's going to actually get what his market value is, he could get three hundred and fifty million dollars from somebody that's going to throw it at him. If this is true, and David Sampson told us earlier today, he thinks all of the markets are going to be suppressed. He thinks it's going to be really tough Mm -hmm. for Mookie Betts this offseason to even get what he was hoping for from the Red Sox at the time. He doesn't think he's going to get that offer again. That's the case, and you're looking at a below-market value offer for Francisco Lindor? Now you're not talking about a one-year stopgap for you, a one-year rental. Now you're talking about one year and then maybe signing, let's say it's a bridge type of a deal that we're talking about yeah. in the NHL where it's two to three more years on top of that to get him through most of his prime.
0: I think that what you could run into is the player knowing all of this as well and the agent. Obviously, they're going to be expecting some lowball offers. And maybe it's a bridge deal like we've talked about several times. Or maybe it's where you have escalation in the contract. So you go, okay. I'm signing this five, six, seven-year deal with your club. Uh, yeah, in the first three years, it's going it's going to be below market value, but then we're going to have a jump, and it's going to progressively get higher and higher so that his total dollar amount maybe isn't as far off as we think it could be. But in the first few years of his contract, it's a lot easier for that team to digest it while the revenues come Backload back deal. I wonder, too, if we were already heading
6: toward the two-year deal as opposed to the five to seven to 13 which which is what bryce harper yeah, got
0: if i'm the cardinals i'm locking that guy in if you
6: can absolutely you can yeah. but i'm thinking of from like the player and the agent standpoint because these 31 year olds weren't getting what the 31 year olds used to get i wonder if we were already heading that way before the pandemic where a guy says okay I'll take the qualifying offer for 15 million for the one year, or I'll sign a two year contract for 30 or 40 million. I'll get more money, take the risk that. I don't get hurt over the next two years and then I have another opportunity to hit the market in two years
1: 65780 is the Air Comfort Service Tax line from the 636 did you guys see Yachty play with Javier Baez in the World Baseball Classic I want right. that passion with the shortstop and the catcher here in St. Louis it's the other thing if you bring Yachty back for another year or two that's a perfect combination with him throwing it out to the shortstop it'd be perfect I love the concept I love the idea of it now let's go get it done
6: I mean you brings it a tear down. to my eye you would in this dream scenario you would have Paul Goldschmidt At first, who's a very good defender. You have Colton Wong, who's a gold glover. You have Francisco Lindor, who's an outstanding defender, and a guy in Paul DeYoung, who overqualified third baseman. Absolutely, who's got power, too. Dunk used to always talk about that. Where's your power coming from? It should be coming from your corners. At least is how,
1: how it used to be. Corners in the infield and corners in the outfield. And then Dylan Carlson. And now the ages are starting to line up, too, with the majority of your core, right? Like, you've got Paul DeYoung. You're building around him. You're building right. around Francisco Lindor. And Dylan Carlson in the outfield. Starting I'm to excited,
0: guys. Him. I'm excited. Come on. Let's get baseball back here. I've had enough of this. Let's go.
6: I'm excited. <laughs> you heard Jamie. You heard Jamie first. He says, bring baseball back. <laughs> now you can go ahead and agree to a deal. Are you I mean, guys talk about those
1: Blake Snell comments <laughs> again today?
6: Yeah, probably. Ronji Ron has been kind of uh, banging the drum about how awful the owners are. and so I've heard. Yeah, I, I, and I think he wants to go to that that well
1: again. So, yeah, we'll talk about the Blake Snell and now I Bryce with Harper. I agree what you've been saying. I I it, I don't even care which side you're on. It's a bad look for the players. It's a bad look. I, I I I agree with what they're saying, but the messaging and the form in which they're doing it, doing it on Twitch while you're playing video they're games or in the middle of a pandemic, it's, it, it's not a good look. Yeah. It's dumb. Yeah. Put
0: a leash on your players. MLBPA, put a leash on your players and le- you know, let the top guys Have the the bulletin board stuff, not the dude that's sitting at home playing on Twitch and then voicing his opinion about things. Yeah, it's they're they're getting hammered. And Ronji's
6: point, and it's well made that they were probably they, the players, were going to get the short end of the stick from the public anyways, because the players often do. Right. There's also a reason for that. <laughs> you don't have to put it
1: on steroids, though. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Like a fiddle through the media for this entire period. They the, have. the owners have been putting out all the plans, saying, "Here's what it's going to look like. Here's what we're doing. Here's how we make it safe." And the players haven't come back with anything until it started be becoming about the money. Right. Negative and so when stuff. that's the first thing that you say, of yeah. course there's going to be backlash. The, to
6: it. the the guy in St. Louis, the guy in, uh, you know. Cincinnati, the guy in Milwaukee, the guy in Pittsburgh that is either trying to hold on to his job or worse, just got let go or furloughed, does not want to hear from the $50 million pitcher that doesn't want to play ball. For three and a half instead of five. Right. right? And I get, I get the bigger picture. I get the player's point. But, Kylie, you just mentioned this. My thing is you're getting hammered. In the Court of Public
1: Appeal.
0: Just or quiet perception. Voice. Appeal quiet perception. voice. Just do your thing. Let your union guy do the talking. All right. Stoltz, what else you guys got coming up today? We are
6: going to cover the Blake Snell comments again, certainly. Bryce Harper got uh, through some support behind Blake Snell. We've got Danny Mack coming up at 2.30. Chris Kerber's going to join us. A lot of, certainly some baseball stuff. and uh, Big day. Yeah. More of the Western Conference Finals look curved too. Or look back, I should say. So, yeah. You boys have a good weekend.
0: You
2: too, man. You too, brother.
6: Always good good seeing you. You guys look well. (laughs) Fast Lane's next here on 101 ESPN.
2: You have been listening to the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN.